Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Winner Winner Podcast. My name is Mike, aka MTB Trigger, and I'll be your host tonight. We've got a full cast. We've got Griffalicious and the One Heart with me. Unfortunately, Heathy Keithy is sick tonight, so he will not be joining us. Him and his kiddo got a cold, which is super unfortunate. But we will also be joined this evening by a very special guest in the very near future. So what's up, guys? Everybody here? Everyone got their mics on? Yep. Yeah, what's going on, man? Am I supposed to say something? Not yet. Okay. You're the special guest. I was actually counting on... Heathy Keithy being here to wonder if he was going to talk or not. So now I'm just kind of trying to figure out who's going to be the most excited for our guest. And I, I kind of feel like it's going to be Griff. And I'm pretty sure it's going to kill him that you're not allowed to spoil it just yet. I mean, I'll fangirl out later for sure. But <laughs> So we've, we've kind of had a wide variety of talent. We've had streamers. We've had large streamers. We've had professional PUBG players, content creators, and Everybody here on the show kind of represents a pretty broad range of really the PUBG player base as a whole and content creators. So tonight, I'm pretty excited because joining us is perhaps one of the most dynamic content creators in the PUBG universe. He's got a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. He has a Twitch channel with nearly 60,000 followers, and he is extremely active in both the PUBG Twitter and PUBG Reddit communities, and last, at least for this list, and it, but it is certainly not the least, he is a PUBG analyst and commentator for professional PUBG leagues, notably the NPL, which just started its phase three this past weekend. If you haven't put it together yet, our guest this evening is WTF Moses. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that is... A very nice intro. Oh, my God. I don't think I've ever been called the most dynamic anything before. Well, I think you've earned it, sir. <laughs> I appreciate that. You've been out here grinding, dude. No, I'm super happy to join you guys. I mean, it's uh, it's an honor to to actually do one of these and not be the host of it. It's kind of funny because we're, we're pretty excited for a number of reasons, and that being one of them is that you're kind of involved in basically content creators. I mean, you're creating YouTube content. You're creating Twitch content. You're basically all throughout the PUBG community professional, everything. And you're on both sides of the camera. So you get to talk a lot about PUBG. But we're also kind of curious on your background as well, because you spend a lot of time just talking about the game. So because of the amount of content you've pumped out, it's actually really hard to find anything about you pre-PUBG on the internet. So <laughs> I was kind of hoping that we could sort of jump in like, where are you from? Background stuff. What what kind of role did gaming play in your life? What happened pre-PUBG? Because there is so much PUBG content from you that it's honestly really, <laughs> it's really hard to find. Well, it's, it's actually funny you say that because there is no pre-PUBG. I mean, there is nothing before it because I wasn't doing anything. Um, I was still working. I actually, uh, so to start from the beginning, I, I'm from Calgary, Alberta. It's a city in Canada. I grew up there and I live there still. And uh, I was working there and gaming has always been a part of what I do. It's started with Sega Channel back in the day, and uh, you know, regular Nintendo, that kind of stuff. And I got into PC gaming in the mid to late 90s, like so many of us. And uh, I started with Half-Life, played Day of Defeat, and it was PC gaming from then out. But as far as work was concerned, I actually used to be a private investigator. I did corporate security investigations for a lot of different companies. And I, I'm not sure if there's any Canadians out there, but my most recent posting was uh, working for the Loblaw Group or Shoppers Drug Mart, depending on if you live in Canada or know anything about Canadian <laughs> Economics is a very big company, so I was doing pharmaceutical investigations for them. And uh, I was always doing st 
stuff on the side. So when PUBG was in beta, uh, I checked it out and I had been kind of messing around with YouTube and that's when I started making content and that's kind of when things kicked off. That's crazy. So how how do you, how do you go from being a private investigator to creating content? Like I I mean I know you just kind of brushed by that, but explain that. Was it like a you're doing it in your free time and then it just kind of blew up and became the thing or was it a conscious decision like I'm going after this? Uh no, it wasn't a conscious decision. Actually, the the story I often tell uh is I was kind of monitoring Twitch. I never really watched it actively, um but I remember, you know, just kind of popping on now and again and after I started seeing the links more and more, I, I started watching, you know, whoever I saw first. And I think in this case, it was Summit uh, 1G, who was uh, playing Counter-Strike or something else at the time. And uh, I was watching them play H1, uh, watch the dock a little bit. And I started to see, and I'll be honest, I was like, these guys are making how much money? You know, that, that kind of thing. That was my first thought. And it wasn't really a, a motivation of money, but I was like, man, I love comedy. I love, you know, I, I just like the the whole idea of, just being able to play video games and talk with people, you know, because I'm playing video games anyway. Maybe I can turn a camera on and see if anything happens. And I turned the camera on and uh, believe it or not, nothing happened. <laughs> uh, I think we can all vouch that. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> so that was how I got my start. But no, it wasn't really a conscious decision. The, the, the whole joke was that at the time uh, I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, don't worry, one day. You know, a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to quit my job and become a full time content creator. Ha ha. It took a little bit longer than a couple of weeks, but it eventually grew to that. And uh, most of it has to do with PUBG's success. Uh, I jumped in on beta. I had been making a couple of little Battlefield 1 content videos, one of which actually did randomly really good. But I didn't know anything about YouTube or anything about content creation. And it was a learning process. And, and luckily, PUBG was blowing up and it was kind of the, the birth of a new genre. So there was no really inherent content creators making PUBG guides or battle royale survival guards or anything like that. So I, I was just lucky enough to, I guess, be in the right place at the right time. Is there's no more simple way to put it. I was just gonna say this is just kind of a deep cut, but one that's plagued me ever since I came across your channel. What's the final verdict on uh, Final Mouse? Uh, I think that the the I think the the I I spent a lot of time thinking about this, especially recently, since people I sometimes still tweet me asking me about it and. Since uh, I've given the response so many times to them, I've, I guess I should recurrently the same thing to you, which is Final Mouse. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I was just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> the heck is Final Mouse? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't think they even know some days. They're making like these Frankenstein mice now. Now, if I had a real long customer service issue with that company, and I was a nobody back then, and I had been making a couple of videos, and... I've been waiting for this warranty replacement mouse for like a year and they just kept on asking me for my address every three months. And finally, I made like a very angry rant about their customer service and they started showering me with free product. It was so hilarious. Like looking back at some of your old stuff, because I was just curious, like watching your trajectory as a content creator. And I was like, final mouse. Well, let's see what he has to say about that. Well, did the title not give you any hints? Oh, man. I was actually I was happier because it was kind of like a binge watching experience. Like I didn't have to have to wait for the next episode to come out. I could just immediately go to the next one. and like, well, shit, I'm intrigued. What happens next? <laughs> I, that was my first kind of that was my first interaction with a brand that I, like they, when they responded to me um, because I started posting the video everywhere I could think to post it just because I was so pissed <laughs> off. I was like, I'm posting it to Reddit. I'm posting it on my 110 follower Twitter. I'm posting it on, you know, any anywhere I could think of. I was signing up for forums for mice reviews. I was posting them. They're <laughs> deleting my posts like I was pissed. Dude, that commitment, that level of commitment is outstanding. And I dare say you knocked it out of the park. 
I appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> I haven't used a Final Mouse product since. As you shouldn't. I think just on principle alone. No, I don't. I think it's actually ethically um, now it's illegal now. If you guys haven't seen those videos, you got to go back and watch them. They're fucking hilarious. It was uh, it was a long time ago. You're probably not even going to recognize me. Like I, I actually someone when they tweet me, they, they link the video and I just see the thumbnail of like no beard significantly less fat than I am now. It's uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is a time capsule of all the things I want to forget about. <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the funniest things about looking back at at content, right? Because like it, when we had Swagger on here a few weeks ago, we talked to him about his initial content, and he, you know, you you kind of got to laugh at yourself just like that, right? It's like uh, the skinnier version of me was, you know, throwing rants at companies for the first time, and it's maybe done a little different now, but it, it's really kind of hilarious when you look back at anybody and the beginning of their content career. But you said something that. I think is really key is that, you know, PUBG is doing things that nobody else was doing at the time. No one was creating content in the space and you, you sort of catapulted with it. But when that was starting, what was your idea with it? What captured you about PUBG then? Because we know you're still in it now. That's why we're talking. But what captured you then that was like, I need to make videos about this because you weren't doing it before. Something drove you to that. To be honest, uh, my first interaction with PUBG was, again, I live and die on honesty. I uh, was playing H1Z1 on stream, and you know I had 10 or 15 people watching me or something like that, and they kept on asking me, like, hey, have you tried out this game called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds? And I was like, you know, based on the title alone, I'm not 100%. Like, you know, it's just having heard it a million times since then, it's totally fine. But the first time you hear the title... Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, it sounds like, I don't know, like a like a rip-off Korean game show, almost. You know what I mean? It sounds generic as all get out. Yeah. It's just a little wordy, too. Yeah, it's, it's a little wordy, exactly. It's not cool, like H1Z1. <laughs> well, and it's also, like, brilliant in a way, because I feel like everybody who got shown PUBG, the person would be like, hey, you need to check out this game PUBG. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Oh, what's that? Just come look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had seen I had seen people, uh, you know, talking to me about it. And then it had just come out on beta. I'd seen a couple of streamers playing it. But, you know, to me, H1Z1 was still the game. I, I was just chasing the most popular game that people were playing. So someone was playing H1. Doc was playing H1. And then uh, I, I ended up installing it, tried it out. And to be 100% honest, I thought it was trash. I was like, this game looks dumb. It's it runs like garbage. I don't understand anything. Like I couldn't figure out how to get my health bar all the way full. Uh, there's no tutorials, and I ended up winning like my second or third game. And I was like, and it's easy. And I was like, pass. <laughs> so I I <laughs> I went back to H1 for a couple of days. And I think I went away for the weekend and came back. And on Monday, PUBG was the biggest game on Twitch, and I was like. You know, I was like, I missed it. <laughs> so that's when I, I, I went back to it and I was like, all right, let's see what this, like, so they've got, there's got to be something. And then I think I played it for three hours and then I played it for two straight years after that. There's going to be a significant portion of people that are really upset that you won your third game because there are people that haven't won a game after like 500 hours, man. That's, I know. That's <laughs> but the, back in the beta, man, everyone was garbage. Right. So I think I there's I think there's footage. If you go far enough back on my on my on my YouTube, my first PUBG win is still up there. I think I won it with a naked M16 and a pump action shotgun with no armor. I don't remember. I don't know. I think I was wearing one of the red trench coats I picked up off the ground. I <laughs> I have no idea, man. 
It was it was a different time back then. Oh my gosh, you just reminded me that there used to be clothing spawns in the game. Yes. Oh my gosh. They were in there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's funny now looking back at what the game was and what it is now and, and just seeing how it just blew up. And to that point, like it really was Twitch. I mean, that game became successful because everybody was watching it. It, it was something that people could play and then also interact with your chat. And I don't know, it, it was just I was in the same boat as you. Like I didn't even play it until it came out on the Xbox. Right. And I remember seeing videos for it on IGN and I had the same reaction. I'm like, what is this bullshit that they're trying to peddle me right now? Yeah. Because they had some garbage headline about like you dress like the character from Assassin's Creed into this big battleground. I'm like, this looks like ass. Like, why would anybody <laughs> want to play that? Yes. Yeah. The visuals were just oh. all the makings for a successful game, apparently. Right. That nobody saw it coming. I, th- I honestly think that it, even to this day, and I, I mean, if you're making content, you know it, like there's a lot of people out there who don't play the game at all and haven't for a long time, but they still watch it every single day. It is probably the most watchable streaming game. And that's why I think people like Wacky Jackie have a great success on their stream. Uh, obviously, he's a, a great content creator as well, because the solo gameplay, you just don't get better interaction. Every game is a story. You know, you start the game equal with everybody else. And your trajectory on how you get to either failure or success is going to be unique every single game, no matter what happens. It's going to be a little bit different. Obviously, if you play long enough, you're going to have some repetition. But yeah, back then, Battle Royale was was not even a, like it was a thing, but it was a, it was the same thing like, you know, someone trying to make a, an airplane in their garage and then Boeing just kind of flies over <laughs> everybody else like we got this new thing. It's coming. Well, and you look back because, yeah, it's like, I mean, Arma had mods, like everyone was trying to mod it. And it was always like, I mean, Counter-Strike came from, you know, when they released 32 person servers, it was a thing, right? So getting into 100 people in a lobby, I remember when I first heard about it, I didn't believe it was even possible. I'm like, what kind of computer could even do that? Because I play, you know, Counter-Strike and 32 people makes those servers clunky. So, yeah, it. It was just unheard of back then. Absolutely. At that time, it was very few. <laughs> back in the day of beta. I think I had 45 frames when I was, or 60 frames minimum, or maximum, I should say, in the first couple of weeks of beta. Uh, and that's with a, like a 1080 Ti and all that stuff back then. It was probably one of the most demanding games, and everyone had the same experience because it didn't matter who you were. Summit was, his game was running bad, just as bad as mine was, and everybody else out there. So that kind of sprung up the cottage industry of trying to figure out all the different, and stuff that still permeates this day, all these little tips and tricks. Because uh, I put the videos out there too, like how to get the game to run well. Some of that stuff is still believed to work today, but I think most of it doesn't work anymore. I mean, I just remember getting into it on Xbox when I first started and having to learn that I had to go buy a thing called an SSD, and I had no idea how to build oh, a computer yeah. at that point. I played I played the Xbox version on launch too. Oof, it's rough, but it's gotten a lot better on that too. It's kind of crazy. But I'm kind of curious, how long were you playing PUBG before you got into the casting side of things, and, and which kind of thing came first was your popularity with the twitch coming first or was it people started to get to know you through the casting i was known to some but i mean uh, you know back at that time in i think it was august of 2017 the game at like august 2017 doesn't seem like that long ago like that long ago to me but it's been you know a couple of years now so uh, at that stage, PUBG had been out for, you know, I think it hit early access in March. It had only been out for the summer, essentially. And I, I had remembered reading that uh, since the first person game mode had just launched back in August, that PUBG Online had launched all their leagues 
to go to first person. Uh, and now I've always been a first person gamer. I didn't like hate third person. I, I never have. I still think third person is a totally viable game mode. But the Reddit post that kind of signaled to me like, oh, there's a competitive PUBG. I had no idea that there was a competitive scene even going on. So I, I jumped in that discord and I looked for, you know, casters because I was like, I, I'd always wanted to do casting. Like when I was 16 years old, I was doing prank phone calls on internet radio in my parents' basement on, you know, Winamp, you know, showcasting. If you guys remember like Winamp and that kind of stuff, you could listen to, mm -hmm. you can listen to people live there. And I had a small amount of success when I was 16, but I, I just, you know, the small amount of success back then was a hundred, a hundred listeners was the most I ever had, I think. Yeah, I just, uh, I had, I messaged a couple of guys, one of them being Matram, a guy I still work with to this day and said, Hey, I'm looking to get into this. I've got a little YouTube thing going. Some people know me, some people don't. Is there any way I can get in on this? And he said like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I think I did my first show once I got back from vacation, because that's when I messaged him when I was on vacation and I got back and did my first death segment for PUBG online, I think around the beginning of September. And that was that. Well, it also helps that you have a very Howard Stern-esque voice, just very buttery and smooth. I didn't realize that until people started telling me. So I appreciate the compliment anyway. And everyone else who's ever said that to me. Back to Winamp, right? <laughs> I'm just thinking you got me on skins, right? So it almost took me into PUBG skins, but I'm not going there yet. But you do, you've done so many things, right? You've been behind the mic, you're behind the camera, you're you're in the professional scenes. Is there anything that gets you nervous now? Well, I don't get nervous when I'm getting ready to cast because it's one of those things that you're, you've practiced it a lot and you know, I'm pretty confident in like my style, I guess my style is more so entertainment based. A lot of people look at casting and, and pro PUBG is still so niche and I'm going to say underappreciated uh, that, you know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to make it accessible because the, the, the what I think about is there's people that are going to be watching this who have never seen pro PUBG ever. So if they just listen to a guy who's, you know, describing what he's seeing, like casting is essentially describing what you're seeing and, and explaining why it matters. But I think the art comes in trying to also make it entertaining and accessible. But as far as nervousness goes, the last time I felt really nervous was uh, the opening ceremony of PGI in Berlin in, in 2018. And that was like, it was such a massive event. Like this, this big curtain was like, there. Was, I don't know if you guys watched the opening ceremonies of PGI 2018, but I was standing in the tunnel watching the, watching the rehearsals with Brendan Green. And there's people coming from the ceilings, there's pyro, there's this big 360 degree, video presentation on this shroud and then this production assistant comes over to me and is like okay this is where you'll be talking and i was like uh what <laughs> i'm gonna be talking and they're like yes the casters will be talking before the ceremony i'm casting with toby one i'm not sure if there's any any dota fans but toby one is a, a very very popular and, and famous esports caster that he was getting into PUBG and and you know we had been working together uh we had done a previous event or a couple of previous events together and him and I are just doing the cast and they never, they never, they never gave us a call that they were going to start the opening ceremony. So I am at mid sentence in one of the biggest, probably the biggest at the time events that PUBG had ever had. You know, this was not just PUBG esports. It was all of PUBG and they just cut my, <laughs> they just started the ceremony. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, did I, did I miss something? Like I was just like, eh. That event was massive too. I mean, I it can only imagine. Huge. Was that the biggest stage that they had done so far? I feel like it was. Uh, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the biggest. It was the. I think it was the large. Like from a from a production standpoint, it was the biggest endeavor that PUBG has put on so far. But I think PGC is going to be pretty big too. 
You said a word that I think is key here. And from the viewer standpoint where I sit on the professional scene, there's been leaps and strides made on the production side. Can can you speak just specifically to the production side? Like how much work goes into prepping for these events? Uh, it depends who you are. I mean, uh, OGN at the NPL works tremendously hard, um, both corralling 64 individual players of various responsibility levels um, and not to mention the, this all the computers and everything the technology that goes along with it but to give you some context when I was casting on PUBG online we had one observer and he was flying around in, as the spec because there was only one spectate slot back then and then he would screen share with the rest of us and we would cast with no audio off one observer off Skype and that's how we would cast the game so to go from that to PGI 2018, where we had, I think, four or five different broadcast languages, obviously the stage production, all the people in the crews, player handlers, pyrotechnics, the amount of work and logistics that goes into an event of that size, not to mention just the actual competition itself, is massive. And I mean, everybody at PUBG Corp obviously had a tremendous amount invested in it. Um, so they're all working really hard. Obviously, at PGI, at least in that situation, the production company, I believe, was Korean or Chinese. But the, essentially, they were Korean and Chinese and English. And we were all trying to communicate to each other at various levels. Uh, you know, you, don't, you, can't, you couldn't talk directly to one person. You need to have someone that was translating into their language and then back to yours and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's not about language or really the inconvenience of, of something like that, but more so just the massive amount of people and resources that go into putting on events of that size. No pressure, right? Well, and you don't think about it. I never thought about it like that because to me, like PUBG Corp was treating us so well. They had us at the Ritz Carlton in downtown Berlin. That's the first thing that I got to, you know, and that doesn't happen that often. Okay, shout out to them. They they really went out. They treated us amazing. And I still think that if I never cast another PUBG event, uh, if I never go to another global event, it doesn't matter because that to me was just the pinnacle. It's awesome to hear that you guys get treated as well as you do. Um, this is kind of an odd like peripheral question, but I guess just for the sake of like anybody who cares, would your role in casting be considered like shot calling or shout casting rather or a uh, color commentator? Uh, I've done both. I, I now I now prefer to do play by play. That's just my personal preference um, because I just like that. Um, but it depends. You, I, I think it, when it comes to casting, it's really important to be a good partner. You know, some guys are, are or some girls or whoever, depending all across multiple games. It's just in the industry. Some people really want to be one thing. And they're mm -hmm. just really focused on being that one thing. But I always wanted to be a good partner. So to me, that was normally being the color caster because Toby Wan is a Dota expert for sure. But at that stage, you know, he was a world-class play-by-play caster. So I was there to bring support to him. But as time has gone along, I've kind of preferred to be a play-by-play -play caster. But if I'm working with someone who's a better play-by-play -play caster than I am, then I have no problem being the color caster, which is, you know, you call the action as the commentator and you provide the context as the color is kind of how I look at it. Right. And there's always been so many like legendary broadcast teams, like just, you know, in traditional sports, like Al Michaels and uh, John Madden or, you know, Bob Costas, like all of those guys, you know, and then have you found anybody you're like, yes, that's my John Madden or that's my you know, whoever, my Joe Buck. If I could be one person, it would be Mike Breen. Oh? So Mike Breen is a uh, is an NBA commentator. I think he works for ESPN. But if you remember, like, his whole his signature is yelling bang at the top of his lungs anytime someone hits a, a three-point shot. I want to perfect the bang! You know, one of those. You need a catchphrase. Have you worked on one? Uh, no. I, I normally leave the catchphrases for toffees. <laughs> 
I got the best message from him. I didn't realize I did this, but the opening to the show is uh, pretty similar to what he does. <laughs> and I've now paid a lot more attention to what he says because I kind of opened the show in a very similar way that he opens uh, some of the NPL stuff. So he's very territorial, very territorial. You have to, you know, I'm surprised you didn't ask for royalties or something like that. He's going to trademark that opening line. Yeah. He trolled me pretty good, man. <laughs> He strolled into the Discord like, hey, I think I've heard that opening before. And then just like left and then he messaged Trigger uh, personally. <laughs> yeah, he had to do it like two or three times before I finally messaged him and was like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> to- Toffees is the is a is a very professional person. He really does uh, take his job very seriously. He's very good at his job as well. However, he is, I believe, what they like to call theater kid to the core. So uh, he is, I think, probably one of the most prepared people that I've ever worked with. He has this notebook he carries around that I'm pretty sure just has newspaper clippings of like, you know, either hometown of he's got like player pictures in there. He's got article clippings. He's got hand drawn notes and I think recipes for different kinds of chicken dinner. Damn. So he's doing the homework. Yes. Very prepared um, and uh, always willing to throw himself in front of whatever camera is nearest. You said that you live and die by telling the truth. And then you just said a minute ago that being a good teammate as a commentator is critical. What do you think is the hardest part about doing that? Because I I feel like your style is such that maybe it gets misunderstood sometimes. So, I mean, is there something that gets misunderstood when you're live casting an event like Battle Royale, which is crazy? But, But how hard is it to be a good teammate when you just talked about those things that are critical to you and your content? I don't really treat casting as my content. You know, I want to leave a personal mark. There is no caster alive, and there'll be a liar if they said otherwise, that isn't thinking about trying to be the best at what they do. And they want to be recognized for being the best at what they do. So uh, recognition when it comes to a relatively niche esport is typically the reaction that you get when you say something. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not playing, I'm not casting Counter-Strike where if I say something good, bad, or whatever, that it's going to get clipped and reposted everywhere. So normally, if I'm doing VOD review to see how a cast went, I'll just look to see how people react. And obviously, I do have a very specific view on how I want to cast, but I will never let that get in the way of my co-caster having a good time as well, because I've been in the seat where there's something I want to say. It's like when you have an answer for a question in class and you're sitting there with your hand up and the teacher just moves right on. It's the same way in casting. Because in Battle Royale, or specifically in PUBG, the action is moving so quickly, you're going to be hitting on things and saying things so rapidly that sometimes you don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> so you'll you'll say something that is sometimes taken either out of context or incorrect, or you'll make a mistake and you won't even know it because you're moving right along to the next thing. Battle Royale presents so many challenges. Like I'm trying to give you props here because your commentating is phenomenal. Like doing a play-by-play on Battle Royale is not easy. Because things change all the time. So there's a point where, you know, you may think something's going on, but it's not, or somebody else has a different view on it. I kind of think that you guys have to rely on your cameramen a lot too. So it's like you're not controlling the camera and then you're trying to call something out and then Battle Royale goes nuts. So it, it just seems like it could get misunderstood really easily. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I, I kind of know what you're saying. So I get a lot of heat. I think I get I get a pretty good amount of heat on Twitter. I get a pretty good. I mean, I put myself in that path a lot too, uh, because I do believe that we should act as if we are just as big of an esport as League of Legends or Counter Strike or NFL football, whatever you want to say. Obviously, these things are all massive, and and PUBG is not there yet. But I'm going to act as if 
you know, what I'm saying is being heard by thousands of people and the, and I'm being heard by the people that are the fans and people that are the haters, you know, not only of myself, but of the teams that I'm talking about. So if a player does something amazing, I want to underline that. If a player does something bonehead, I want to underline that too. Where the issue comes in is I'm not going to get it right. Every, I mean, there's hundreds of events in a, in a single game. I'm going to call something wrong and I'm going to say something wrong. Um, I might miss something. We might, you know, glaze over something. I might use the wrong words, you know, because everything you're seeing is done live. There's no delay. I'm watching it on the screen, standing on the floor of the NPL, calling the action in the best way I can. And then sometimes I say things that are stupid <laughs> and it happens a lot. So when it comes to getting it right and to, and to doing everyone justice, you know, the person watching the VOD going back and, and listening to me over and over again is going to hear every little mistake that I've made. It goes the same way with the action that's happening. You know, you're going to see people make mistakes. You're going to see things get missed. And it's not, I don't know if it's misunderstood, um, but it's all about context. And I think if I could say to everyone, like, we're just trying our best and we're going to miss stuff and it's going to happen, there's compassion there. But I will never change the way I do things uh, unless it just isn't working. And I think that a lot of it goes outside the game as well, because I'm like Griff said earlier, I'm very active in the, in the pro community on Twitter trying to, you know, drum up interest in any way I can. And I'm going to make mistakes there too. And I frequently do. In all your time doing all these, all this casting, is there one particular kind of thing that you said that kind of got you the most heat that you remember? And then past that, I mean, you said that the production value has gone up so much and you have probably more cameras and stuff. What kind of resources do you have as a caster now in terms of like how many lines of sight to different fights? And do you have a special kill feed or are you really just looking at one screen at a time while you do all this? Uh, well, I'll answer your first question. I think, I think the one that's most memorable to me that kind of defined my, you know, and, and really still, it doesn't really haunt me, but it kind of hangs over is back at the first star ladder. And this wasn't actually on cast. This was, this was on Twitter during the cast. Cause to me, I was, I was watching, you know, I, I was thinking that star ladder season one was a massive event and that I, I look at other sports like basketball, NFL, um, you know, I don't profess to want to be like any of these people I'm about to name, but you know, the Stephen A. Smith of the world, Skip Bayless, all these guys, they're out there ripping on people about bad performances. So I didn't want to, I wanted to make a joke. And what I said at the time was, I think it was LG was uh, sort of luminosity gaming was a Brazilian squad. They were not playing well. Uh, Technosh was on that squad. I think I'm not sure if Skipinho was on that squad, but there was a bunch of guys that they were just getting absolutely dummied over and over and over again. And at the time, we had just got back from IEM Oakland, where famously someone had stolen Ninja's mouse. So if those of you guys who don't know, Ninja played PUBG professionally for a small period of time for Luminosity Gaming, the English squad. He played with Drassel, I think JP, and someone else I can't remember. Ninja had lost his mouse or someone had taken it off his desk and he had posted about it on Twitter. The Luminosity Gaming owner had like overnighted a mouse to him or had gotten his car and went and got him a mouse for the event. So I think the joke was on Twitter that Luminosity Gaming was playing so badly that if the owner of Luminosity could go and buy Ninja a mouse, then he should buy a private plane to take these guys home or something like that. And the players just jumped all over me and, and by and by and for good reason, <laughs> good reason, because the game professionally and everyone knows this from playing PUBG is probably one of the most hard games you can play. And it's super easy for some jackass on Twitter to say you're playing bad. And the way I worded it was 
really out of line and it was completely completely missed but at the time you know it's like touching this hot stove you don't know the stove is hot until you touch it in that situation and i might as well have planted my face on the stove in that situation well it kind of cracks me up that you have to now preemptively say that when you make a prediction or something that you have to say that you're going to make people mad or don't be mad or I, you just did it right before phase three started. I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but you do have that poll now that people are looking at what you're saying and they're reading into it. And I also think you have the respect of the pro scene because when you say it and you rank someone low, they're, they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, well, it's insecure. I mean, to be, and to be honest, man, the, the difference between way back then and now is I don't really care. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, uh, I do care. Like, I know all these guys, but back then I didn't know anybody. I didn't really know the players that well. That was the first time I'd met, like, Break and Smack and Viss and those guys. And Break told me, like, uh, PAX West not long, or a couple, uh, I think a year and a half later, he's like, you know, the first time we met, I didn't like you at all. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, the first impression that a lot of these guys got was at Star Ladder and from that one tweet. And I, and that was something that was a lesson I had to learn back then. But nowadays, uh, I've met so many of the players. You know, I've taken them to dinners. I've I've been with them at events. We've been in places all over the world. And uh, even though they give me they give me a little bit of crap on Twitter if I say something that they don't like, you know, these are not guys that I'm I'm going to be looking over my shoulder for if they you know if we're at an event together. You know, they know it's for the show, and that's and that's something that I will always do. Is that even if it pisses people off a little bit, I'm going to do it to. You know, ruffled feathers or is interest, um, even if it's negative interest to positive interest, but it is it is just 100 percent for the show and to get people interested in pro PUBG. Is that, I mean, that's pretty on point that you want to get people interested in this game and, and in the competitive side of it, because, you know, we still have a ton of people playing the game, but it's viewership in NA is, is one of the harder things to, to pick up. Right. So I think, you know, this this phase right now I'm watching and it's more interesting and not that it's more interesting it just seems to be there's a lot of stories already developing and the way it's videos going and all the production value just seems to be going up so high ogn really is world class it's really been incredible to see how how far it's come so on the video side they've been doing so much but what do we not see when you're at your desk doing the casting for that well i did i did glaze over one of your questions earlier about what i see when i'm casting so um what I see when I'm casting is actually what is called the program feed. So what's going out to Twitch. So the observer feeds uh, obviously live as it's happening. And then we have a map feed. We have no special tools. We're not in control. The observers are 100% in control. And observing in PUBG has always been the big question. Obviously, everyone's tried to do it different ways because we have one of the most complex professional or competitive games you can play. There's 16 teams to follow. You know, in Counter-Strike, there's 10 total players. You know, you got two teams. The maps are significantly smaller. League of Legends, there's one map. Uh, I think, what is it, five players aside there too? So five players aside there. That's all you have to worry about. And even then, like we had Star, the Star Ladder Major just happened in Berlin. And the observing there was, was not great. And they had to replace them midway. But everyone has tried to do the observing in different ways. And I still believe that OGN has significantly improved in their observing through this first year of PUBG Esports. But yeah, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there kind of talking and, and we look at the map and, and we talk about, you know, whatever's happening on the screen. We don't have any special tools there. But yeah, the production value has gone from the days of Skype screen sharing all the way up to, you know, uh, in Starladder's case, um, I know that they had a team of something like 25 observers. Uh, they had one guy doing cinematic shots for the team. They have one guy doing 
the individual first-person shots, uh, a flyover. Some of the most expensive productions are, are based on just how many people it takes to keep the plane in the air. And observing is so critical in PUBG that only a few have been able to master it. Shout out to Ansvar, I think probably the most talented. Uh, him and Wilhelm and their crew from GLL are universally recognized as, as the best observers in the business. Well, I've got a bit of a follow-up here like on the topic of PUBG esports. And as a fan of other esports, I know you mentioned League of Legends, which is one that I followed for many years. And then uh, I think last year I kind of got into Rocket League. And both of those games, more so Rocket League, because you don't really have to understand how to play that game to be able to enjoy watching it. Yep. League's a little bit different because it's much more convoluted. There's much more going on. And obviously, the most exciting parts about League are the team fights. And those games go 30 minutes deep, right? So the question becomes, how do you keep a cast interesting for 30 minutes plus while this game goes on waiting for the end? And I feel like PUBG is kind of in a very similar situation in that regard, yep. where the end of those games are hands down the most exciting parts, right? Because the circle's closing in, the pressure's on everybody. So what sort of challenges do you guys find yourselves in the early to mid game trying to make it as exciting as possible? And do you think that there's something missing that could potentially make it better? Or what could we do? Or what do you guys do in the mid game? And then what sort of things do you think they should add or maybe is lacking? It kind of seems that um, that is that's always a question. And, and I think that's why my personal style has evolved to be more along the entertainment side, because there's games that no joke. And this happens frequently because we're playing. We're, we're doing six games a day now where there is nothing happening for the first 10 minutes of a game. Nothing. You know, it, and that's the you have a central circle on Miramar. There's a ton of real estate available everyone's kind of in the circle by four and a half minutes. And then you know that the big crunch is happening around that 19 to 22 minutes. So how do you get from minute four when the intro is over and the drop phase is done to minute 19, potentially, you know, obviously there's skirmishes and rotation, that kind of stuff. And what I like to do is just talk about the players, talk about the dirt, talk about the tidbits. And that's why I find myself in hot water all the time is because I'm going to talk about stuff that is interesting. And what's interesting to me is drama, you know, the interpersonal dynamics, who doesn't like who, uh, what's going on with the team, roster changes, what's that, you know, it's just the stuff around the game. The story is not about me. The story is not about my co-caster. The story is not about this one game. The story is about the players that are playing, uh, which is one of my main points of frustration with the current North American PUBG player base or the North American PUBG pro scene, which is a lot of these guys hang their hats on the NPL or NPLC they don't stream. They don't really have a, an active Twitter presence. And if you're a League of Legends fan, you know how critical player personalities are to the health of a game. You know, 100%. Uh, and I'll, I'll put this question back to you. What is League of Legends if Doublelift never picks up that game? Exactly. Well, and that's what I was thinking about this, too, because like, I mean, I'm a little bit more invested in the community than just the average PUBG player, but I'm aware of K-Mind, right? And yep. he, to me, is the biggest name in PUBG esports. I think about being a fan of League and Rocket League, and I'm like, we need some star power. Yes. That's something that I feel like if you if you cared and invested more, because like I'll, I'll watch NPL and I'm like, cool, I just wanted to see, you know, K-Mine and his team do well. And to kind of follow up on, on what, what you're saying, I agree. And I'll I'll put this in the dramatic pros as, as, a, as a caster, but I, I do believe that K-Mind is North American PUBG esports. I mean, shout out to Drassel, shout out to the, everyone who is trying to get to that level. It is extremely difficult for anyone, doesn't matter how good you are, pro or otherwise, 
to get to where he's gotten to. Obviously, a good friend of mine, Choco Taco, same thing there. Or even the 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 following that I've gained. It's it takes years to build that up. And not only are these guys having to scrim and practice and everything else, but then you add in all the extra work you have to do to, to grow your stream. But what you get in return is a safety net. You know, K Mind, he is a blue chip prospect in in the sense that without him. I think that PUBG Esports is fundamentally less in, in North America. And not to mention his team is really good. And the people out there that do put in the extra work, like I, I mentioned Drassel, Drassel puts the work in. All of Ghost has done a, a really good job of, of maintaining that presence and, and putting themselves out there to make content. If every one of the NPL worked as hard as those guys did, we would have triple the viewership we do now. And they would be setting themselves up to, to not have such trash tier organizations backing them there'd be less controversy around this stuff not to mention they would be setting themselves up for success after pro play not that i've thought about it too much <laughs> <laughs> clearly not does it i guess i don't want to say does it surprise you but how do you feel about the fact that PUBG's biggest names in the north america scene aren't in the pro scene um it, it really does speak to the to the value proposition i i think um, it's very difficult to win PUBG. You guys know this. I mean, everyone who's played a game of PUBG knows how hard it is to win just your standard issue duos, squad, solo game. Obviously, solo is difficult in its own right for its own reasons. But if I think squad is the most popular game mode globally, there's guys out there who have been playing together for two years and have never won or have only come close a couple of times or, you know, they're, they're playing random squats and now and again, they'll get in the top 10. Because uh, not everyone's playing eight hours a day. And if you take that sentiment and you apply it to a 64-player lobby where everyone in it is world-class, if you're not in the 99th percentile of that 99th percentile, you are not making any money. And you can only stay in that for so long before you look at, what am I doing with my time? I'm going to use myself as an example because I can't really speak for others, but uh, actually, I'll use Hambino. Hambino is a great example. Hambino has been having yeah. terrific success. He is a former pro player. He gave it up after I think about a, I think uh, six to eight months ago. He had a, he had a couple of runs uh, at the end. I think he did play at least a handful of games on the NPL stage, from what I recall. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, he's translated his success and his skill and his personality and what following he did get into streaming. And I, I tell you right now, I did have a chance to ask him, you know, what he, he does miss the competition, but if you look at the money you're making streaming and this happens in other esports, not just PUBG, but it's especially worse in PUBG because you know, there's either you're making $0 or you're making something. So if you want to make a go with this video game life, you can't be having too many $0 years or $0 months. You know what I mean? So, um, that's, that's the biggest issue right now. And if, if I wasn't casting, I wouldn't dream I would never have gone anywhere near PUBG Esports personally. Yeah, I just always find that so interesting because if you look at any other game, like like you said, you brought up Double Lift for League of Legends. I think the only exception for League streamers is uh, Tyler One, and he's the only one that doesn't play comp competitively. Yeah, and that guy's trash in his kitchen to get viewers. <laughs> right? <laughs> like He knows how to put on a show. How many headsets has he destroyed? Like, let's be real. Enough. As many as it takes. But all the other guys, you got Doublelift, you got Bjergsen, you got Faker whenever he streams, which is ridiculous. Or you look at Rocket League, right? And you've got Squishy or Fairy Peak or any of those guys, like the top tier guys are the most successful streams and they're pros. Like these are guys who are out there winning stuff. And it's so weird to look at PUBG as its own individual case because that is not the case in this game at all. And I just, I find that kind of perplexing. Well, most of them aren't streaming at all. That's true. 
at least in North, like, and, and if you look across the world, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about North America. Obviously, I have to give respect to, uh, to Fuzzface, Jeems, Liquid. All those Liquid mm-hmm. boys are doing something. A lot of the guys, uh, Uba, who I think is probably one of the best players, if not the best player in the world right now. Yeah, uh, he's streaming. He's having a lot of success. So you know, K Mind, I, I think, is just the model. The first time I came across K Mind in a public game, I was convinced he was cheating, mainly because he was just ruining me and Jocko's life. Just, I think he was by himself. I think we were in Picado, and he was just popping me over and over again, all headshots all the time, insta report, and I forgot about it. You can't land in his city. <laughs> and then, uh, and then a couple of couple of weeks go by, and uh, I think it was Wooly uh, who now plays for the Sonics reached out to me. And was and because I I asked I was like is this guy legit I posted the clip in uh, the high ground Discord which is the North American Pro Discord and uh, Wooly reached out to me he's like yeah this guy plays on my team you should play duos with him he's he's a good guy and I was like no <laughs> no thanks you know I was just uh, I don't know why I I I just felt it was I I was still convinced back then and it took me a lot of time because back then at that time it was like the peak of hysteria around cheating mm-hmm. uh, and and people were getting popped left right and center in pro PUBG for cheating as well so i was skeptical of everyone who was seemingly that good um but a lot of people have come up that way so uh, anyway eventually he shows up on on one of his first teams uh dot 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 plays for energy doesn't qualify he played at the north american pgi qualifiers uh, didn't make it but you know he's he's turned out to be one of the best players in the world so i guess that's just the mistake you make when you come across someone like that in picado <laughs> <laughs> you kind of spoke to the need for maybe it's the personality or the content or the development of some professional personalities. Is there anything in that the game still needs? And I don't want to go too deep into how much time do you have? Oh, we got all night, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we wanted you. <laughs> we have arrived. <laughs> I actually agree with you. I think there's an absolute thirst in the community for personalities that people can follow. And maybe it's the way that it's structured and there's the scrims daily and then they go into the weekend event and then it's back to scrims, back to the event, etc. But I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about the game in general. And maybe this just moves us into a group discussion here on the state of PUBG, because depending on who you ask right now, PUBG is either in the best state it's ever been in or it's horrible and no one should ever play it again. You know, like personally, I've been playing or wanting to play and level a classic WoW character, but I continue to find myself queued up for a PUBG match. So I want to know what you think first, but maybe we open this one up to just the state of PUBG right now. What do you think? Uh, Well, I'll just just kind of put a cap on the previous thought. I mean, my advice to anyone who is in the pro scene or wants to get into it. If you want to have success, just take care of your homework first, you know, make sure that you're, you know, doing, doing everything you need to do both at home and otherwise, but, uh, you know, make sure that you're thinking about streaming, making sure that, you know, it's the hardest thing you can do with streaming. Some people just don't have the technological capabilities, either they can't afford the equipment or their internet's not good, totally acceptable in that situation. Um, and maybe working, you know, at least while we're at the MPL here, there's no reason I have a streaming set up here in, in the hotel room. That's where I'm casting from now. But I, I think that putting the effort in as a consummate professional is, is extremely important. But as far as the state of the game, I, I am one of the people that believes that PUBG has never been better than it is now, but is also still in a, I'm not going to say critical, but a, but a, ten, a, a ten, I don't know. It's, it's on shaky ground still. It could certainly teeter either way. 
Yeah, it could go either way. And that's kind of how I feel. I think to kind of transition us into this topic is there's a lot of players out there that don't know how good they are. Uh, and that is due to the lack of a, of a proper leaderboard. Now, I know you guys had Brian on here not too long ago. I, I do yep. talk with Brian, uh, not all the time, but he is a communicative and, and really nice guy. Uh, I've got a fun story about him, actually, that I'll, I'll, I'll drop later. But uh, the, um, the need for a leaderboard, because uh, guys like Bale Frost, I think a lot of you guys probably know who that is. If you, if you hang around or play North American PUBG, you'll see him out there in the world he's playing for united now yep um, but that's a guy who 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 had to grind his way up because he wanted to and he's one of the very very few people who who did that um, because there's just no path the critical component of that path is a functioning skill-based leaderboard because there's a lot of guys out there who who are maybe even playing as a squad together and they're you know winning multiple times a night and hanging it up and you know giving their wife or girlfriend a kiss good night and off to work to go and they might not even know that they're the next k-mind they have no idea because there's just no functioning way to know that this is sort of the thing that made our paths cross was this you know talk about ranked mode competitive whatever it needs to mold into and whether you pay attention to it or not right everyone's out there talking about adr win rate you know even people that aren't watching the pro scene and aren't involved major in a community right you get into a squad with them random duos or something you know they're like oh yeah what's your adr or you know it, it comes up i agree that's one of the major pieces that has to get resolved because yeah you can go out to third-party sites but PUBG isn't telling us right now how good you are yeah i mean uh i know that there's something in the works uh, i don't know what it looks like but um, you know, we've gone, I think now three seasons, uh, since they started this new, this, I think they did have, I can't remember if they had a preseason or whatever, but it's been, it has been three seasons now of, uh, the primary metric being time played or games played. I, I have this reference on my, uh, on my stream about sh this guy named Schwunder. Uh, he was the rank eight player. I think he was the eighth in the world ranked player uh, in season two. I think he's still on the leaderboard out there. Okay. He played something crazy like three or 4,000 games. Um, and his ADR, uh, open guess. Any guess? Zero. Eight. Oh, great. You're cheating. I was going to say, I, I, I watched it too. I was there when you talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Griff. So Griff seen it. But yes, he had an over over his 4,000 rounds or whatever crazy number it was. He had an average damage per round of eight. And this is the, this is the man that is eighth in the entire world or North America or whatever it was. One of the best. So, I mean, it's it, <laughs> shout out to Schwander. That's what I say. Shout out to that guy. God bless that guy for pressing the, the play play button 4,000 times. Dude, that guy Zeke is worn to the core. <laughs> yeah, he's probably has to. He probably has like a, it's probably a seven now, actually, or some other key he doesn't use. Well, he certainly got his money's worth. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Shout out to Schwender. Well, let's let's dig into this, though, because when you say it needs a leaderboard system, I'm I'm reading into that a little bit. Do you think going back to maybe at the very least, even a what they used to have the old school leaderboard system in PUBG, which was there was a win rating and kill rating. And that was the two things people went after is getting just a leaderboard back in. Or do you think it needs to be ranked mode or competitive or some mix of the two? Well, I, I mean, I, I've I've seen behind not I haven't seen behind the curtain, but I've, I know the wizard's back there, and I think I know what lever he's pulling. And not to mention the fact that there's a lot more at stake, or there's a lot more at play than just, like, 
you know, enabling a ranked mode and a ranked leaderboard and a competitive queue and all that stuff. And I don't want to, I don't want to put a somber tone on it. And I, and I don't have this data. And that's why, you know, I rely on people like Brian, you know, to tell me when I'm being an idiot. And I, I think that's, I think that's really important. So if any developers out there who, who think I'm an idiot and listen to what I say, and I'm totally wrong, please tell me I'm an idiot. So I know better and I know where to steer the conversation. You know what I mean? But the way I look at it is that I don't believe that North American PUBG is in a very good state right now. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can't get games like you couldn't in, in OCE for so long, or, you know, we're not overflowing into other regions to, to make our matchmaking work like South America has to. But from a uh, sustainability standpoint for new features, especially around the queue, North America just cannot support anything right now. We don't have, we don't have map selection. So a rank leaderboard is, is so complicated now because you can't have a competitive mode, a, a solo competitive queue or a duo competitive queue or, or whatever feeding into a specific ranked leaderboard because you can't split the queues anymore. So now the leaderboard and the, and the matchmaking and the ranking system has to be able to apply to everyone and their individual play styles, which is not necessarily centered around kills because a lot of players do enjoy the, the more scenic aspects of the game let's say or they don't have the skills um which is now a, a massive issue in PUBG, at least in north america because those are the those of us have that have stuck around we're like you know the lord of the flies kids except they left them on the island for a decade like we're all hardened vicious predators now <laughs> just refusing right. to give up yeah and not to mention if you're a new player you're like hey guys what's up bam dead like every round like there's a chance there if you if you're new to PUBG, there's probably no harder game to play right now I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's so many guys that I know now, like me, who have switched from Xbox, never touched a mouse and keyboard. We know how to play the game, the meta and all that, mm -hmm. but just getting the skills is like, guys, give me a break. Can I just at least try and shoot back? It takes a while to get there. And if you've never played PUBG at all, never played first person shooter, but you have a PC and you want to switch from League of Legends and check this thing out, you're going to be gone in an hour asking yeah. for a refund because yeah. it's just so hard. So that's the other thing they have to attack is, you know, rank leaderboards, rank modes is great for the people that are left, but their biggest issue or one of the bigger issues is how do you get people back in the door and how do you keep them from leaving, which is, I don't know what they can do. And I, and maybe one of those things is to put a fence around all the veterans. That's where skill-based matchmaking becomes so important, but I don't know if North America has the population anymore. And I, I, and I can never know that I've, I've tried to guess as to what the player population looks like, but. A lot of the data isn't maintained anymore, and it's really hard for me uh, to find these things out. And obviously, I can't go to PUBG Corp and be like, hey, give me all your demo, your, all your demographics and, and analytics, please, so I can make some YouTube content telling everyone why you need to change things. So I've kind of been on this kick recently where the leaderboard idea seems like it might be catered towards the people that are still playing the game. But I'll even go to a game that's relatively new but has a leaderboard, and it's Teamfight Tactics, right? The League of Legends insert. Right. And I'm awful at it, but I love it. It's a great relaxing game to play after PUBG, but I can go in there and play in ranked mode and it's got me ranked horribly. I don't remember what it is, but it's bad. He's bronze. Don't let him lie. A hundred percent bronze, dude. It might it was even iron for quite a while, okay? <laughs> Back There's up. Iron? Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> well, nice. They couldn't make wood it's, tier. They had to use yeah, some, some say, sort of metal. What comes after like what's before iron? Just like rock. Use some rusty nails for your trouble. <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a fun area, okay? There's fun players down there. Good chats. 
Got it. <laughs> but my, my point is that I know I'm bad at the game. The game's telling me I'm bad at the game. But when I get that wild hair to go into Teamfight Tactics, I know where I'm at and I know what I'm grinding towards. I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to get out of bronze and now I'm working towards silver. So it, it actually, in my opinion, is actually a retention strategy, even for new players, because there's nobody that comes and plays PUBG for the first time and doesn't know they suck. A lot of people don't know why they suck either. Like, you know, it's, you know, I I think it makes this weird, stressful pot of, of anxiety. You know what I mean? It's if, if I'm a new player, you can be a new player to PUBG, but that doesn't mean you're unfamiliar with PUBG. Because when I started playing, everyone was new and nobody knew anything. Right. But now, you know, there's a lot of press on PUBG. There's a lot of articles, guides, content, videos. Uh, I still have people, you know, discovering videos from two years ago. To be honest, the most comments I get on my older videos is that I missed an eight time scope. So, uh, you know what? To be fair, Delta Crusher 99, I did miss the eight time scope <laughs> in March of 2017. You are correct. So shout out to you. Um, YouTube but, uh, comments matter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of people, they have some perception of the game and they're like, all right, it's on the summer sale. Let's give it a shot. And the thing that they're going to see the most is they, they're going to know that there's been a hacking, uh, cheating problem. They know that the game has got desync and lag and some other performance issues. They might know that it's a terrific game. They might they might have positive uh, preconceptions. They might have negative preconceptions. But you're going to have the situation where you have a new player coming in. They get owned for a couple of days, weeks, hours, however long it takes for them to either get better or get out. And they're looking at a replay system that isn't 100% accurate as to what's actually going on. So they see the aim snap it around or they get shot around a corner. And the first thing is they're thinking, okay, everything I heard is true. Either I'm being killed by hackers, desync is crazy or whatever, and I need to leave. You know, that's that's something that PUBG can never change is, is the historical perception issues. Um, but what they can do is try and do what they're doing now, improving the game as best they can. And I'm not, tr- not trying to say like, you know, there's some there's some dire critical component. There are a lot of things that do need to change. But from a player retention standpoint, I have no idea how to solve that, uh, solve that problem. And maybe a ranked leaderboard or, or something to say like, hey, the bad news is you're bad. But the good news is you could go here afterwards because, you know, there's a metric that works that continues to judge you as, as you improve in certain metrics. Like you mentioned ADR, survival time. There's lots of, a lot of stats out there that could, that could propel you up a, a theoretical leaderboard, but there isn't one right now. Yeah, maybe like a, a hidden MMR system would be nice to kind of at least try. If the pool's available, maybe at three in the morning, you're not going to get it. But mid, you know, peak at night, you might be able to get into a more fair lobby for you, right? And there's, I'm, and I, I'm not a game developer, so luckily I can just throw out ideas and assume that they're good. Um, mm-hmm. But the even if they have a matchmaking quality indicator on your Q button, like, hey, how many people in this lobby are at or around your skill level? 55 out of 100 or something like that. You know what I mean? Because if you're playing in a lobby that has significantly worse players than you're used to playing uh, on average or significantly better... If there was some sort of indicator, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not a good idea. You're like, oh, I'm in the I'm in the death queue right now. That's going to be fun. But I don't know. Like, just something like that to give you like, here's a pamphlet on why you're about to get owned. Trying to piggyback off the success of, you know, both you and Wacky Jackie. I've tried to make a YouTube career about telling people why they suck at PUBG. So, right. I've seen the videos. It's a small and you know what? You're trying your best, you know, and, and I've and I'm trying my best. Wacky Jackie's doing his best as well. The amount of people that will touch our content 
before or after they touch the game is infinitely smaller than people who will never ever hear of us oh for sure you know who don't have the resources who just play the game don't know anything about it you know the guy trying to prevent his daughter from squeezing yogurt all over the place to whoever's you know trying to get a couple hours in uh, before they got to go to bed and you know go back on the shift work or whatever you know right well and that makes me wonder like is there any onus on PUBG corp at all to try to make the game more noob friendly or do they just kind of continue to stick to their guns and say look this is the game as it is and you either adapt or you move on i mean they can look at rainbow six rainbow six is impressively difficult to learn as well but people still try it and get better at it and get into it right but see i'd argue that they are making it more noob friendly but they're not doing it in ways that are like hey we're gonna completely change the game they're doing things like letting you move while you heal where good and really good players are going to do that shuffle dance so that you can't hit their head with a sniper well now you can walk around right so they're they're moving those skill gaps closer together in what i think are really smart ways but it's not exactly apparent because there's no communication around it that that's actually the goal of these changes, right? They're just making the change and we don't really have a whole lot of communication on why those changes are happening. It's just coming out in a dev letter and saying, hey, by the way, you can walk around and heal now. Oh boy, well, now we're in it. Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the real issue is communication has, has been a problem or something that's lacking ever since Brendan took a step back as the guy writing the patch notes and the guy kind of being the front facing due to the project. Now, shout out to Brendan. Tremendous, tremendous guy. Uh, I've met him a bunch of times. Uh, I've spoken to him about the game sometimes to the point where he wanted to run away from me. But I mean, it's I don't think anyone was ready for for this. And, you know, we talk about the explosiveness of PUBG. I look at and I feel for the original developers and the people who worked at PUBG Corp, you know, like Sammy Kang, uh, Poopy Queen, who was uh, who was the community lead for the longest time uh, in the early stages. CH, who is now, you know, running the whole shebang. He's now the CEO uh, him and Brendan were working together. Um, now there, there's Taysok, who is also now the executive producer of of the entire project. Uh, guys like Brian, who were brought on later. I look at the early PUBG Corp as, you know, the guy, like imagine applying to be the CEO of like General Motors. You know what I mean? Just Just off the street. And they say, yeah, sure. Come on up. Come on down. And you're like, oh my... God, what do I do now? Like, like all of a sudden they were like, well, maybe we'll sell a couple hundred thousand copies. You know, we'll get a little following. We'll, you know, we'll see if anything happens. 50 million copies get sold in the first year or something crazy like that or 30 million, however much it was. And they ha and they go from like, there's 10 people in a room, like making this game or 20 people in a room making this game to all of a sudden they need to scale up this project to global scale to, to not only manage the growth that they're having, but try and translate this gigantic wave of revenue into a into a company that can last for you know more than a couple of years so that that's the first part is you always have to think of these developers and, and the guys working on the game as they are still on fire they're just you know it's more manageable now and, and obviously things change all the time with development but we don't have a guy anymore and i i really want brian to be that guy so i mean i think that brian has been uh, Brian Corrigan, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Gen XP on Twitter, but he's led the way in communicating with us as players, uh, both behind the scenes, had a little slack going and, and that kind of thing. But I look at Jeff Kaplan, you know, for Overwatch, a guy like that, you know, to say like, this is where we're going. Everything's going to be fine. Take a breath, that kind of thing. Uh, we just don't have that. And I think it's critically important that uh, someone step up to that plate soon. Yeah. And I, I mean, he came on here, right? And we had a great, we had a long conversation with him. And that was really the first like, 
behind the scenes after what I would just call an information gap between Brendan stepping down and then sort of the new you know, leadership that was put into place, it just kind of highlights the fact that there's a lot going on in this game, but we don't really know why in a lot of cases. And they've ramped up the dev letters, you know, and, and Corey, he's he's on Twitter a lot now, right? And we get to talk to him and we hope to do that again in the near future. But there's just all these questions about relatively small things, but they're the things that are still remaining after they've fix some of the bigger issues so there's just that bigger spotlight on them now yeah the issue the issues that have remained have become more and more critical because they're really the most difficult to solve it's like uh it's like if we were talking about wow earlier the level one quest of this door doesn't look right when it opens is much different than hey we need a complete overhaul of our matchmaking and, and leaderboard system right you know that's that's not a that's not something you can tackle in a weekend um, or a month, sometimes it's six months. And I guess if I'm going to leverage one critique is that I don't think I know what PUBG's vision, like PUBG Corp's vision for their game is. I know that Brian and, uh, and I, I keep using him because he's, <laughs> it's not, he's not running the entire show. So if you're listening to this podcast, like I'm going to go start tweeting at this dude and telling him that he's, he's messing up. There's, it's a, right. it's a team effort. <laughs> and not only is it a team effort, it's a globally, it's a global team effort. They've got offices right. all over the world doing multiple projects. And, you know, it's a very large undertaking, but I do, I think they have all these ovens burning, but I don't know if they're, they're making all the parts to the same cake. You know what I mean? So I would like to know if we're not, if we can't see a roadmap of what's coming in the next six months, where are we going to be a year from now? What does the game look like? What if, and, and this is something that is my, a concern to me is because I don't really get that information. I know what they're working on now. I know they're trying to sort out the sound. I know they're working on bugs, you know, content. They got to they got to keep all those plates spinning. But I don't know what the game is going to look like in a year. Where are we going with this thing? You know, if we if we can't see a roadmap of of what exactly you're working on because the the reason and I think Brian mentioned this is that they don't want to have to change stuff and disappoint people. That's fine, but you are working towards something. And what does that look like? That's one of those things like if you hit the nail on the head that like if they put out a roadmap, then the pressure and the potential of that going wrong or they not meeting the expectations of the internal team that then translates out to the, the players at large, then ultimately they've disappointed everybody, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, these are these, I don't know, let's say six things. We're aware of these six things. And even that, just saying like we're aware of these things, not just when it becomes a major problem, just like today where the game was crashing randomly for people with no crash report and nobody knew why, and they got it fixed relatively fast, right? PUBG is awesome at responding to things that need to be fixed right away. Yet we have all of these problems within the community that people are very vocal about and everyone's aware of that they don't really seem to be giving any information about. And just to that point, if... They would just tell us like, hey, we're aware of these things and here's our ideas of how to fix them or this is where we want to go with them or this is what the end result looks like. Then I think by and large, people would be relatively okay with that if we just knew that there was something being done. This is a broad example, but, you know, if your car breaks down, you know, obviously the the big issue is your car doesn't work. The mechanic, you go to a mechanic, he says, yeah, well, we've kind of determined that the car isn't working. Um, and we're going to work really hard to make sure that the car is working by the time you come back to pick it up tomorrow. But what's the problem? Well, we do know that there is a problem. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, can we, can we just can you know, if like today, you use today's example, the crashes, if they, they, the Twitter's like, okay, the issue's now been resolved. 
if they had said something along the lines of due to a launcher conflict with this particular module, blah, 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 blah. Even it's like, even if it's a technical dump, at least it's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, of course the, the run diagnostics tool was conflicting with the DLL file, you know, and the flux Great. capacitor. Exactly. You know, cool. That, you know, that just gives me more confidence and more, and it's not really spoilers. Not, you're not, we're not looking behind the curtain too much and it might not mean anything to a lot of people, but at least we know that there's, there's a cause and an effect and the effect has been, you know, monitored, adjusted, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause I mean, we got those fixes to the sound settings recently, which we're all super stoked about, right? <sighs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, Vertical wear. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I really, I, <laughs> I told myself when I wanted to do this podcast that I didn't want to turn it into a, into a, a two hour long rant about what is broken. Well, of course not, but that's kind of our job too. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and I guess the, the overarching concept, at least for me is accountability and uh, accountability is not the same as culpability, you know, just being accountable for what you are doing and what you're working on and what we're, what we're saying. A small thing, but an annoying thing is the, is the dirty windows on new Erangel. Drives me bananas. You know, there was, a, it was acknowledged and a shout out to the community guys. They're doing their best with what they got to Hawkins. I consider a friend. Poor Hawkins. Uh, Dan, I don't speak to him as much as I speak to Hawkins, but Hawkins is my dude. So I know that he said that, uh, it was recognized as an unintentional change and that it was going to be addressed. And then crickets after that. Now, clearly we've learned after, you know, if it's an unintentional change or an undocumented change and it isn't fixed afterwards, I think we can now all agree that the, it wasn't intentional change. It just wasn't documented. I mean, on the same tune, we got to remember that this isn't like a game in beta and they, they aren't so new to it that they can't just change something on the fly. They're moving at the speed of corporate now, which if anyone's like familiar with is slow because it's got to go through approvals and a whole team has to evaluate it and, and translate it and translate it. But it's definitely difficult for these people to be on the front lines dealing with the community, but they also have to know that they can't do something overnight like they would want to or, or people might expect. It's not as simple as just turning it off and on in a lot of cases, but some of it could be easier wins. You're right. So fog on mirrors translates pretty well in all languages, I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, and I, and this is just what I've kind of gleaned is that, you know, everything is, is translated from English into Korean or whatever language and then back to English. And then that's how things are communicated um, because PUBG Corp is primarily directed and run by Koreans. Totally fine. That's just the way it is. That's the way the game was was made. So there's no issue with that. But I think that efficiencies in that end, I, I just don't know where like things go dark down the rabbit hole. Like I said, just be accountable to the people that are paying and playing your game. And uh, and I, I don't know what that looks like. That's obviously a, a cultural thing that we will never be able to control. But really, <laughs> I think what you don't want is some knucklehead like me commentating on what you should be doing as a company or how you should run your development team or what needs to be addressed and how and what arenas, how publicly following up on what you say, doing what you say you're going to do, all these things. I have no credibility as someone who's critiquing people and just as a player. And I look at the state of the games industry, this is now going, you know, very broad, but I, I do think that PUBG Corp has really been abused by its player base for a long period of time. And looking what they've tried to do with with fix PUBG, what they've tried to do with all their other public campaigns around roadmaps, they get shit on, for lack of a better term, constantly about 
what they try to do. And I think that's made them a little bit gun shy about saying anything at all. Well, and I think I mean, you hit a number of things there, right? It's not just PUBG. It's or PUBG North America. It's not just, you know, PUBG Korea. It's PUBG Global. It's player base. It's perceptions. It's all of those things. I want to make it really clear, and I feel like we say this in every interview, right? It's really easy to pick on the things that aren't going well. Right. You mentioned it. It's accountability. And they've said, Brian said on this podcast, hold us accountable. We want to hear about it. Please tell us. That's what they need. They're working on communication. And so it's not just this cry fest we're having, but there's things that need to get improved. We love this game. That's why we do the podcast. That's why you create content. You commentate. You're willing to come on and talk about it. I mean, for crying out loud, we're going on an hour and a half here talking about a game that we play and love. So I kind of want to move into, though, there's a lot of ideas thrown out about how to make this game better. And there's some really unique ones out there. We're lobbying for things that are kind of meme-based, like adding flare gun damage that would add some fun kind of wonky things to the game. But I also think there's a ton of PUBG universe appropriate things that have been added. Not added, but uh, recommended. You've even done some videos on this recently. So I kind of want to discuss that. Like, what are some things that we think or we've seen out there discussed that might make this game better that aren't currently being done? I kind of think about like the two categories of, of changes. One is like logistics and quality of light or well, there's like logistics and then there's gameplay and quality of life. Uh, I think the biggest logistics change, and this is a relatively controversial subject, depending on who you're talking to and what your audience is and their ability to reason, uh, use logic and not yell at me in YouTube comments is, um, (laughs) is going free to play in North America. All the competitors to PUBG are free to play. So without Mm -hmm. saying anything more, what do you guys think about free to play? I, that's been my number one thing. Like, why is this game still not free to play? Like the stores in there, the skins are in there. We went down the skins path on the last episode like crazy. So let's not go too deep there, but they can monetize this game from a, you know, in-game cosmetic standpoint. The game needs players. We've talked about the cues. I'm, I'm all about it. I think free to play is the way to go. It would certainly justify $15 skins. I know, I know we're not talking about that. But <laughs> you had to. I knew you would. <laughs> I got to throw that in there. Biting my tongue over here. Right? It's a good point. I mean, if the game is not $30, then you can really, like you play League, you know that there's, for, for 15 bucks, you're getting these legendary skins that have, you know, uh, additional voice acting, a different skin, animations, the whole get there. Yeah, so free to play would alleviate a lot of issues. Now, it, it wouldn't create neg- negative issues as well. I mean, obviously the biggest one that people, the first thing I hear about whenever I talk about free to play is, is hackers, you know, or cheaters coming into the game. Now, uh, cheating is always going to be a factor in in PC gaming because it's the only platform that you can really, you know, get into the nitty-gritty and create hooks and programs to to attack certain things, and it is always going to be a battle. Now, obviously, if you have free-to-play and there's no barrier to people coming back, then, yes, that's going to be, you know, you're going to have repeat offenders and people are going to come back and, and that kind of thing, but... Obviously, you can attack with hardware bands, uh, Mac, and, you know, there's always going to be a counter to this argument. Oh, you can just change uh, your Mac address via this one program. There's going to be the the people that are super dedicated and know how to do all these things. And then there's the knuckleheads who are just like, lol, let's download some cheats and 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 mess with people for a night with my with my friends in my basement and laugh right. about it. Then you get banned and the party's over. You know, those are the people that are just gone. If this person or this theoretical villain is out there, you know, changing his Mac address and, and changing out components and 
you know, being the hacker man in a Best Buy installing cheats on anything, you know, those people are going to are going to find a way no matter what. So yeah, why would we ever forego what could be a, an overall immensely positive change for a minority? Yeah. And I, I look at it and say, I can't tell you why I love this game. All I know is that I played it for a little while at a friend's house and got owned over and over, but I kept hitting play. And yeah, new players now have a different, you know, they're going to have a different experience maybe than what I had then. But I just look at it and say, give people the chance to come in and check it out. Because if you got a friend that says, hey, this is free, come check it out. It's awesome. What's PUBG? You just got to come try it. I don't know. I just feel like there would be a huge chunk of people that come stay. And, and maybe this is the roadmap. Maybe it's get some kind of leaderboard in and then bring the people in. I don't know. It just seems like the right sort of path to me. Hell, they could even make it where it's free one weekend a month. Like, just kind of test that and just see how that worked. Well, no, just past that. I mean, you could do things like Rainbow Six with the two-factor authentication. Isn't there is a CSGO where you have to sign up for that special thing? Is that what we were getting into? I don't remember. Well, in CSGO, you got to sign up for a specific thing where you're in like a more stable queue. If you're playing the completely free-to-play version, it's usually more hackers. Huh. I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention. Oh, that's interesting. But there's methods out there where you have to prove yourself as being like, you know, like that CAPTCHA. It's almost like that. But, you know, it's like a hacker CAPTCHA where it's like, I'm real. I'm a legit player and you can hold me to higher standards and, and everyone else will be too. Right. The one thing I think about too that maybe is on the negative side, and Kev, you're actually the one that opened my eyes to this, but it was last holiday season when you were looking forward to, I think you were looking forward to getting Black Ops 4. And you're like, I cannot wait for the noob weekend or the free to play weekend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Black Ops has or uh, Call of Duty has that every year right. like around Christmas time. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Christmas noobs is totally a thing. That was great. But then I built a PC and I bought the game there and Black Ops was, was already dead like three months later. But it's still going on Xbox. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of the Black Ops lifestyle or the, the Call of Duty life cycle. I hope the next one's not as not as uh uh, flash in the pan, but mm, I'm not pre-ordering. Uh, yeah, so like free to play would be a big one. I think that's that's the one change that I would I would think that would just open up a lot of possibilities with the competitive queue and all the other things that you know we need bodies and we need access to people that to not to, it would bolster every aspect of the game, not only the North American queues, the you know people to talk about map selection and that kind of thing. Maybe that could come back because Europe still has it because their queues aren't um, you know in in as rough a shape. I, I do believe it could it could be you know the the life breath which is players coming back into the North American market. On top of that, uh, that's the biggest logistics change I can think of. And, and in the game, uh, there's lots of things that need to be addressed um, all over the place. But I think the most critical one right now is just a, a fundamental ground up rebuilding of of how the sound functions. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what kind of resources are required. I just think that the sound is is a critical component of the game. And uh, it needs to be addressed, and it is being addressed. Um, I guess, uh, you know, sound ties into a lot of other issues that I could go on forever about, so. I guess let me boil it down to maybe one that I've seen discussed a little bit, and I've been bringing it up on stream and stuff, but I guess one of the hardest parts about this game is when someone new comes in, typically... Maybe they've watched a streamer or they've watched some YouTube videos so they know where people like to drop. So there's this feeling right now where if you go to Pachinki or Paradise or Boot Camp, you're going to run into people who are just sitting in a corner, right? And it's because it's, it's terrifying, right? When you're a new player and you hear shots from every single direction and sound in this game is critical, yikes, right? It's, it's a scary thing. So it's based on the fact, though, that you can sit in a corner and not make any noise. And you can look around as long as you're not in soft aim. 
and make no noise. Yeah. So it sort of incentivizes that play style. So one of the minor tweaks that I've been talking about is why isn't there a rustling noise when you're moving left to right, even when you're standing still? It would incentivize people to move around, to fight a little more. And this is definitely from a North American FPP perspective. I get that. But it's super challenging when you're moving around and you know that there's probably some guy who can look anywhere he wants to and make zero noise. Yeah, I think that was mentioned, and this is kind of where you have to read between the lines about how things are worded in, in their dev letter. But I do believe that they were, when they're talking about animation sounds and that kind of thing, I think that's what they're talking about. And that's like, that's coming around December or something like that, which is a long time from now, but it's also a date in which we have something to look forward to that might be the the time where that kind of thing comes in. Because you're absolutely right. There should be there should be some sound. Um, if you know if, if you're going to play in that style, there has to be a downside. And right now, the downside is sometimes you're looking at the wrong door or someone surprises you or you get flashed if, if you make a wrong move. But yeah, there's got to be some sound for, for moving your camera, moving your character in any way. There's got to be some sound. Well, I know recently we've kind of seen, and I think Wacky made a video about this, but like sort of the rise of uh, interest in PUBG Lite because of their dedicated team deathmatch mode. Do you think that something like that would actually benefit PUBG as it stands now? Or would that just be another dividing line to further segregate the player base? My general opinion on that is, I'll, I'll put it this way. PUBG's golden feature, in my opinion, is their gunplay. I don't think that you can, and I, I've asked Shroud this question, I've asked Chaco, I've asked... Uh, a bunch of different streamers and content creators from all over gaming and anyone who's played PUBG almost universally agrees that that has the best gunplay of any first person shooter or any shooter on the market. Hands down. Ever. Hands down. Like for, forever. I've been playing games on the PC for 20 years or longer and it is hands down the best gunplay ever. So if I'm if it's probably saved them at this point. Oh, yeah. No, if they didn't have that, I don't know where they'd be. They can change lots of things, but if they ever change the gunplay and, you know, the difficulty and learning curve that comes with it, I think they'd be in trouble. Well, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that they don't ever have to touch, which is why I think that they're so cautious around their, their gunplay balance and whatnot. With that in mind, I think that if you have a killer feature, you need to build an ecosystem that supports it. In the PUBG Lite situation, you know, making a deathmatch mode, that kind of thing. Uh, I think it, I think it's totally fine, but there is a lot more to just basically get out of the way of the gunplay whatever it is. So getting out of the way of the gunplay to me means increasing loot in the early game. So you can get a gun faster, get geared quicker, get to the shooting faster. That's again, this is all my opinion. I know a lot of people like the survival elements of PUBG and PUBG Corp themselves seem to love the survival elements of PUBG as well. The, the question stands whether, and this has never been addressed either by PUBG Corp or even the, the player base is not able to come to a consensus. Is PUBG a shooter or is it a survival game? It can be both, but you know, is it more more so one than the other? Because that's kind of guiding where I, I think the game should go. Uh, and in my opinion, as someone who plays first person, blah, 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 is it should, it's a shooter and it has the best gunplay in the world. Let's focus on that. And to answer your question about the deathmatch thing, I think that PUBG is the only game I know of where just portions of their game have been implemented as features and then have been dilapidated and forgotten about, like war mode. Custom games are in are kind of rough shape right now. Uh, if I fired up Madden 2020... And I went to play Madden Ultimate Team and just like a message came up saying like, sorry, this feature is not available when it's on the box and it's, you know, in the menus and it's supposed to be available to play. You know, war mode has been somewhat improved and that's the closest thing we have to deathmatch, but it is as patchwork as the day it came out. PUBG themselves is really like 
They've DJ Khaled. They've suffered from their own success by making a game that is one of the best shooting games out there. Yet they've constantly flip-flopped with this identity crisis that I feel like they're constantly having to deal with because they've made a toy that people aren't playing with the way that they intended. They made a survival game that has some of the best shooting mechanics of any first-person shooter. And I feel there's a huge struggle in there to figure out like, okay, do we continue to make the game we want to play or do we make the game that our customers want to play? And what customers are giving them what feedback from what part of the way, you know, (laughs) it's a a global game. And uh, my conspiracy theory is, or my feeling has always kind of pushed me towards this, how much feedback from what regions are being weighted in what way. Mm -hmm. It seems to feel, and the way it's been reported to me from the people that would probably know is that it's all accounted equally, but there's definitely an exchange right there. Oh, yeah. The fact of the matter is that the, you know, the Asian player base accounts for at minimum 45 to 50 percent of the of the total. Sure. Player base. In third person perspective, no less. Yes. That's where I was going to go with it was the perspective piece. It just seems like there's a pretty good split in play style. And certainly there's people that are playing FPP that are just trying to survive or see how far they can go. And certainly there's people in third person that are pushing fights, you know, pushing pushing people and playing an aggressive play style. But I think in general, they're pretty split, right? I, w- I would imagine that the general FPP players playing it for the gunplay and the person that's playing third person is more survival oriented just because of how much more uh, how much slower you can play just with all the different angles that are available. Well, they're fundamentally different games as well. Right. And people like to rip on third person perspective. I've got no problem with third person. I, I don't think that, and this is kind of the thought of the day or something to question. And I put this out on Twitter, but I'll ask you guys, do you think that if PUBG had a time machine and went back in time and, and could go to the moment where they decided they were going to implement first person perspective, knowing everything they know now, would they still do it? Mm, that's interesting to me because like, if you look at how they're trying to grow and build and market their game, just just looking at it from a competitive standpoint, the game is only played competitively in first person. Yeah, but how much are they really marketing that compared to the way they market the game otherwise, which is a lot of cinematic style things. Right. Which let you pick from the start and TPP is the first one you just, you know see on the screen. Yeah. And that's that's where honestly, like I find a more casual experiences in third person because it is so forgiving about the camera angles and the things that you can see while not being seen. I mean, that just digs deeper further into the identity crisis that the company themselves is constantly having to struggle with because they have a successful game over here in one perspective, yet they're trying to market it as this 10 year planned esport that is playing it in a completely different way. And you almost have to wonder, like, do I need to pick a side? Like, is, is the game intended to be played one way? Like, how, how am I supposed to invest in something that doesn't know how to invest into itself? I mean, that was the first time that PUBG split their player base, which was the move and implementing a first person queue. They didn't decide to convert everything to first person. They didn't decide to avoid implementing first person. They put it their stake in the ground. First person exists. And now that's something they can never change because obviously they would be alienating potentially 50% of the European player base, 25% of the North American player base, 2 to 7% of the Asian player base. Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> And it's not, and again, it's not, I really don't like the ripping on third person because. No. And, and, and really what happens normally after you rip on third person is you're going to have people. Uh, and Brendan was right when he said this, and a lot of people like to throw it back at him. 
But there is xenophobia in the North American PUBG community uh, around Chinese players. And a lot of that comes from the, the press about cheaters and where they're coming from and, and whatnot. But everyone is sitting at a computer playing the same game, whether they're playing in Asia or North America or Europe or wherever. So yes, 90% of Asian players are playing third person perspective or whatever it is. I think that I think the esports program has helped that a little bit. And China has a tremendously healthy ecosystem. And honestly, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish we had that support in North America, but they have to decide how they want to approach and balance this thing. And I had this idea a long time ago, and maybe it's not even a unique idea, but first person and third person can be balanced independently and you can solve a queue issue if you just make first person perspective the de facto competitive mode, move first person squads to the esports rule set, dead stop, you're probably going to piss people off. You might have some adjustment periods that might cost you a couple of players. But in North America, you know, if you go free to play, maybe you make this move. There's analytics I'm sure they have to look at. Squad first person perspective is the competitive rule set. Not only do you have a ability then to attach a leaderboard to it and then rank it and then have a path to pro for the esports program they want to have i have many notes on this guys can i continue <laughs> you may keep going but uh you know what i mean solo and duo can be balanced independently there and there might be some tweaks but call first person competitive whatever you whatever you want to call it adventure versus survival and roses versus rainbows it, it doesn't matter what you call it but you have to just you have to drill down you have to decide what you want to do with it and you have to stick with it and let first-person perspective, because it's the minority in pretty much every market, especially the one where it's uh, where they're making most of their money in Asia, it's already a minority there. Who are we going to harm if we do something like this? I say we like I have any pull at all, you know. So. And we talk about there being only like two types of player, right? There's either the competitive or there's survival, but there's also that whole middle ground of someone who's just going out with their friends and they just want to just meme the whole time. They don't care yep. if they're getting into a big fight. They might even have the skills to take the fight, but they're going to try and land on your roof and do something goofy that they saw you and Chaco try and pull off. You know, they're trying to get that jump in to the window from a uh, garage building, you know, which is why I think you need the, the competitive matchmaking or the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the rank or like if you want to be bronze and you're happy being bronze or iron. Uh, or whatever it is, you know, then God bless you. Oh. But, but but not only but but not only do you but not only do you need the players to support that, uh, which is the free to play argument all over again. But you need to have the the quantification. Like if you're out there, like yes, it's called the competitive mode or whatever it's called. Um, but you also have to have some expectation that people are gonna are gonna mess around, just like they do in Overwatch competitive and Counter Strike competitive and everything else. Well, one of the biggest problems that I have with the game as it stands now in terms of competitive play is if you look at literally any other game that has a competitive esports scene, I, as a casual player, can jump in and choose to play the game on the same equal settings as the professionals play it. When you look at PUBG, even the competitive settings and the rulings understand that, oh, the game that the casual market plays is not suited for competitive play, right? They recognize that things about the game, whether it be the red zone or the loot, that those don't work for competitive play. And that's really frustrating to me because, again, that's another reason why it's more difficult to get invested in the competitive scene as a player because I know that they're playing on some sort of modified settings that I'm not privy to as a, as a casual player. I feel like if they would kind of close that gap a little bit, then maybe they would see the game maybe lean more towards competitive interest or at the very least just find people enjoying the game more. I wonder about, you know, how things work uh, internally at PUBG Corp, as I'm, I'm as I'm sure so many, because I know I know probably more than 
most people, but I also know very, very little. You know what I mean? I only know what I've kind of been able to glean and learn and understand because obviously I, I have some knowledge. And I'm sure if I asked some people about how things work that they would gladly tell me, but it's more so that does the esports program have the full support from PUBG Corp proper? Because you want to bring the competitive game closer to, or the, I should say the, the general player population closer to the competitive player population. And you need that crossover mode. So, you know, my thing was the first person squads, just being the competitive esports rule set with Everything. The 64 players, the loot, everything. The map rotation, you only get Sanok, Miramar, and Erangel. The candy's not in there. Or, well, I guess maybe you have to have it in there. So, that you know, they, they need to have esports settings for all their maps. They're behind on what they probably should be doing from their esports program standpoint. We had Sanok come into competitive just this phase. I, I would say the overall reaction has been trending towards the negative, but there are some definite bright spots. I enjoyed the games that I watched this for the first time this week at the NPL. There was a lot of good action. That's actually, I was going to ask you about that. So we kind of got into the Sandhawk deal, right? And when I first saw Sandhawk on the PEL, I was like, the action is phenomenal from a viewer standpoint. So from you, again, and I'm going back to the, you know, the most dynamic person in PUBG. I'll keep saying that so that you can be called dynamic <laughs> a few times. Getting a t-shirt made. He's going to put that on his Twitter bio. So, you, you, I mean, you play on stream. You play with some uh, big content creators, right? You play with Chaco. You you said you do some uh, game tape review is what I like to call it. But then you're also casting it. Like, what do you think about Sandhawk being added? Because I think you've probably got one of the most unique seats at that discussion table. Well, luckily, I don't have to play. I know most of the players lost their shit over it. So, I mean, you know, and shout out to the players. I understand why they're upset because in any in any competitive situation where money's on the line and, and your career's on the line, you want to make the rules and the environment as conducive to your own success as possible. And now the players were universally against Sanok being added because not a lot of testing had gone into it. Not a lot of uh, changes to the map were made in their mind, make the map more competitively viable. They didn't have a lot of time to prepare before the first phase because it was announced by Jake and the esports team that Sanok was coming to competitive only about a month before phase three was due to start. Not to mention, I think the, the announcement came out while people were traveling and during the vacation period after GLL or just before. I can't remember the exact timing. The way it was handled was not great. So I do think that that was probably a directive handed to the esports because I, I really believe that Jake is, is a smart guy and that he's very capable at doing what he's doing uh, and running the show from a global perspective. But that one kind of felt like it was a directive that was handed in to the esports team, like make this happen. Because I really, I have a hard time believing that, you know, it was handled in that way intentionally. I don't know. I can't profess to know how that all worked out, but in the same breath, the new Erangel was not added to this phase, which I think was explained for all the reasons that were inverse to why Sanok was added. So it was just, it was not a good time to be a player uh, or even in some cases be very invested in uh, PUBG Esports because it, it really felt, at least by the player reaction, and we talked earlier about the way my words impact people's perception of things. A lot of the players went out on Twitter and were just ripping apart the decision to add Sanok. Right. And that led to an overall negative atmosphere about how the game was going to play. And you said it yourself as someone who I'm sure d doesn't have the, and not as a, as a negative thing in your case, but you're not nearly as invested, I would imagine as I am and the no. players are in, in pro PUBG as few people are in North America. Right. And I, I would say that even the, 
from a communication standpoint, as someone who's not super invested and is becoming more invested, I looked at it and was like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on there? And I, I actually based my opinion on Sanat going into the pro scene based on the communication around it, which in my opinion is pretty negative. I was, I was hoping to go back to something you said in the very beginning is that you've taken on an entertainment approach to your role as a commentator. And my viewer perspective of the first time I saw it is it was the most consistently action-packed, fun experience to watch. Yep. And so I'm wondering if that entertainment piece is resonating with you with Sandhawk. Yes, I think it was fun. I, I enjoyed casting the games. I it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. I'm not going to say like it was it was perfect and awesome. Like the circles were a little bit too predictable. Some of the the moments in the game were kind of easy to see what was going to happen based on you know circle timings. Players don't have a lot of time to make decisions and, and game plan for stuff, so that's probably stressful for them. But we had some of the coolest moments. Uh, PEL just had a 4v4 team fight between Liquid and FaZe in the open in the trees of Sanok. That never happens. It never happens. That's the stuff dreams are made out of. You have two of the best teams in the world, or at least in their own league, battling it out to win a game in the open where there wasn't 45 grenades being thrown because they nerfed the, the drop right there. Not, again, the, the perfect way to, to go about that change, in my opinion, but, you know, it, it, it has had a moderate effect on, on the game itself. But the 4v4 team fights, obviously, uh, Taylor J grabbing a grenade and, and priming it and jumping into a squad off a cliff. Amazing. Like, that never happens. <laughs> never. You know, it, it doesn't happen that way. So to see it from an entertainment value, absolutely, I think it was worth it. Is it perfect? No. But you know what? Unfortunately, the players are going to have to be the the mules that carry us into entertainment in this situation. And it might not be pleasant for them. It's going to be uncomfortable to to improve things and move forward. I hope that there's more decisions of that nature made, except for maybe a little bit more communicated and thought out. Yeah, and I, I think it's an interesting thing, right? Sandhawk is, you know, is widely thought of to be the FPP's number one map. Everyone liked it. And you just brought up a counterpoint to the next question I was going to ask you specifically with that play with the uh, primed grenade jumping into a team. But we all kind of unanimously agreed and did our, you know, yes when we were talking about the gunplay in PUBG. And grenades are probably the most polarizing topic when it comes to really any population in PUBG, because there's really nothing worse than just getting insta-fragged by someone who knows how to cook a grenade. And, you know, I played in uh, actually Hambino, who you mentioned earlier, I played in a custom game of his, which was Max Loot Miramar and no grenades. And I can honestly say it was one of the most fun experiences I've played in a squad scenario. And I'm wondering your thoughts, again, from your seat, do grenades belong in the game that has the best gunplay in shooter history, in my opinion? Grenades grenades are a, are a hard one. Um, I think that, uh, I think the grenades are, and they're overpowered. I mean, generally speaking, um, they are too powerful. They just do too much damage. Now, the realism squad is probably going to chime in and they're rolling their eyes because Dan, who was in the Navy for 15 years, is, you know, talking about how grenades should kill you if they land right next to that kind of thing. But the reality is we're balancing a video game. We're not balancing right. real life. Now, PUBG is seated in realism, which is fine, um, but it's still a game. And, you know, there's a lot of unfun mechanics when it comes to grenades. The fact that they deafen you for a period of time, in addition to turning your screen sideways if they don't instantly kill you. They ignore armor. Uh, you can carry a ton of them, depending on how you want to configure your inventory. You can carry up to seven, not to mention 
if if you get in a one-to-one gunfight and you know you both take damage both players will instinctively grenade if they know how to play the game and i do think that there are some needed balance changes for grenades do they have a place in the game absolutely i think they do have a place in the game not in this form because you know you've seen the clips uh, there's lots of examples out there as to why grenades are extremely overpowered and they're just not a fun mechanic like what would you rather do in an end game situation throw five grenades in the general direction of where you think an enemy is hoping it kills them or have a intense aim battle you know even for new players there is skill involved in grenades with the cooking mechanics that kind of thing there's a lot of ways to look at it you can you know balance the amount you can carry hard cap it at a certain number increase the weight to make it so it's you really have to sacrifice meds and ammo to be able to carry more of them there's also the aspect of maybe nerfing the damage to a point where the maximum grenade damage is 90 or 75 or something like that uh, because you can sit on top of a gas can and blow it up at your feet and it'll do 95 damage and it doesn't deafen you turn your screen sideways set you on fire nothing and that's a mechanic they brought into the game you know so i i think that you have to look at, at what's fun you know what's fun about grenades you know they're they're satisfying to get that kill to blow them up you know when you got someone like got them like the kobe grenade that's great but you're gonna have to sacrifice some of the flash for the function you know i, I think that's the way we have to go uh, and PUBG has been so good at like gutting the fun out of certain mechanics that I don't know why grenades are so invulnerable to that at this stage. Right. <laughs> it's like they don't want people to have fun with their game. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but it's <laughs> there's, you know, I use the BRDM as, as the as the primary example of that behavior. And I, I made a video about this recently about, you know, I think we should go the other way. You know, right. BRDMs came in. People said they were too powerful. They nerfed them into the ground. They're just like an armored US now. They're. You know, you can rip them apart pretty easily. They're they're kind of inconsequential to gameplay unless you're riding around, turning the engine off, running people over. It's definitely about that balance and and trying to find, you know, what works and what doesn't. Like, I kind of didn't agree with their idea of saying, like, if you're in solos, then the BRDM is more powerful than it is in squads or duos. Or was it the other way around? It's the I other can't way quite remember. Okay. But yeah, like that makes sense because otherwise you've got a dude just essentially driving a tank through the map and you're like, well, shit, I, I'm just going to sit here because I can't do anything about that. But this, then they nerfed it into the ground. It's like one and a half clips. It's a Dacia or something, you know? Right. Well, and PUBG has always been really good about and, and kind of leaking back to the, the competitive talk a little bit, like making very polarizing choices and I couldn't help but notice just because I was very interested to see what the fallout was going to be when they added Sandhawk to competitive play. And I don't know whether this was premeditated or this was reactionary, but it seemed to me that there was a lot of players and organizations that pulled out of investing in PUBG esports. Did anybody else notice that at all? Yeah, we, we notice it every day. We notice it that, it, you know, there's organization, uh, there's organizations leaving the game and that's not something you ever want to see. You know, we, we had, we had the benefit of having a ton of people coming into the game at a very early time. A lot of people were signing on, you know, Cloud9 was one of the first teams in and was probably one of the biggest names recently to leave. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, um, you know, PUBG esports is, is in precarious position. You know, we're not an, a tier esport in North America. You know, PEL has been blessed with great viewers, uh, mainly because a lot of the really good players live in Europe. So the best teams are in Europe. This is the case in so many esports. But the big organizations bring in the big viewers and the you know the big streamers like Ibiza, Jeems, Fuzzface. Those guys bring their own audiences in, and they've done a great job of building it up. Something that hasn't happened in North America. I talked about that earlier, but the value proposition for players is the same as it is for teams. You know, if I'm an organization like Cloud Nine. 
why am I going to pay, let's say all in every month for, you know, you got to pay for rent out here in Los Angeles, which is uh, supplemented by PUBG Corp. You have to um, pay your players, uh, which uh, it comes out of your pocket there. You have to, you know, promote these guys, all the equipment that goes along with it, making sure they have food to eat, all that kind of stuff. That is a, a cost to the organization. And then if you look at the, what am I getting in return? Well, PUBG doesn't even have a watch paid in the launcher. If you open up uh, League of Legends, if you open up Counter-Strike, if you open up uh, Rocket League, Fortnite, esports content is front and center and all of those things. Overwatch and the Blizzard launcher is, is always there. If it's live, there's a big red button like click here, watch Overwatch League now. There's not even a, a watch page in the launcher for PUBG. There's, you know, a little banner ad now and again, but... No one's looking there. You know, you need you need to be able to promote your game, and by by promoting the game, bringing viewers in, advertising dollars, um, star power, all the things that come along with it. So big organizations look at it and say, "Why am I going to pay X amount of dollars a month out of my pocket for something that's not even being promoted properly, or that brings me no revenue in return?" It's a business. You have to put value on the table for people to be interested in to either invest in. Uh, or stick around in esports, which is, you know, historically across the entire ecosystem, not a profitable proposition to begin with. It just seemed very odd that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like all of a sudden, they made this change that was negatively, you know, universal across the entire competitive scene. And then people just was like, all right, cool, here's a good opportunity to wash our hands and just walk away. It's true. And it's it sucks to to be invested in something uh, and love something as much as we all do, uh, the NPL and everyone across the world, you know, PUBG Esports as a community, you know, even though we get at each other and, and we, you know, we talk and we don't always agree and we're all in this together. You know, a lot of people have jumped ship, you know, if you look at even as just players leaving the game, streamers, et cetera, players like uh, we lost Venerated. Uh, he's gone off to Fortnite now to follow to follow that path. You can say what you like about Fortnite as a game, but they've done a terrific job in all the things I talked about: promotion and prize money, value proposition, all that stuff, uh, interest. Um, those guys are playing the game, you know. And and that's uh, there's a lot to be learned out there, and and a lot of the basics, in my opinion, uh, haven't been hit yet. And when and where that happens, that's out of my control. All I can do is is do my part and and do my best to help promote the thing. But, you know, I, I work to build my audience too. I, I don't I don't want to be selfish about it, but I'm not paid to promote PUBG Esports. I'm paid to participate in PUBG Esports. My job is a caster and I'm I'm very blessed to do so. But there's no there's nothing nothing in my contract saying, hey, you gotta tweet about this. There's no upside. You know, a lot of people don't have a frame of reference to going back to not being able to experience the game that's played in in pro PUBG for themselves. Well, I can definitely say as a casual player, just being uh, just a fan of yours and your content, it has certainly made me more interested in competitive PUBG, especially because like, hey, I know that guy or I'm aware of who he is and his level of involvement. So it, it's it's nice what you've been able to do. And I, I really appreciate how far you've been able to help. Well, I'm, I'm just happy to be involved, to be honest. It's uh, like I said, I went from you know, doing pharmaceutical investigations about missing pills to casting a video game that I love in front of thousands of people in the stadium and, and around the world. That's like, there's nothing, I, I will never be able to match that trajectory or experience. Um, and it's fundamentally a, a part of my life that, you know, is, is formed who I am over the last couple of years and probably will for the rest of my life. So I think PUBG is probably the most important thing that's ever happened to me and probably the most important thing that's ever happened to a lot of us. And I think it's a, a sacred product that 
the reason why I criticize and the reason why I tweet and, and talk about it is only because it is like, you know, a family member or a, or a child or a, a dear friend that, you know, I only want success for. And everybody in here who you make this podcast, you make your content, everyone who's touched this game, who has gone more than just pressing the play button, deserves the respect and communication and the support and the enjoyment and the fun that we've kind of put back into the community. As soon as PUBG Corp starts treating the entirety of the player base as as the potential to become the people that we've become, that's when real change will, will occur. You brought up kind of exactly where I wanted to go as we're wrapping things up here in that there's a real opportunity still on the table for PUBG. Like everybody here loves, loved, is willing to fall back in love, <laughs> like whatever it is with this game. And when we tweet, when we put out a video, when you put out a video, tweet, whatever, it's such a small slice of the content of what our overall theme is. And, and that's why we were so excited to get you on here because we felt like you had this kind of deep respect, passion, love for this game. And you kind of have this kind of ability to really attack issues in a way that, again, I think is respectful, but it gets to the point. And so to have you on here to talk for a few hours about this has been really, really cool. So before we kind of get into the end stuff, again, thank you for being here and taking the time, especially after you came off of the first week into phase three. So thank you. Hey, I appreciate being here. I'll do it anytime. We we find that our listeners really love when we talk strategy and we didn't do a whole lot of in-game strategy and, and how to get better at the game. But I wanted to ask you if if you were talking to the average player who's just looking to get better at the game, what do you think is the number one thing that they should focus on that you see often in the pro scene, but maybe is kind of missing from the the average casual player? Like, how do you think they could get better? Stop looting. Stop looting for a minute. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll, there's, there's a, it's a huge question because being, being good at PUBG is being aware, um, being a good, uh, uh, you know, good at the gunfighting aspects, um, knowing what time it is, and sometimes recognizing that you're in an unwinnable situation. And, you know, not everything is unwinnable, but sometimes you're just going to die. My philosophy around PUBG and getting better is embrace the suck. It's going to suck for a long time. A long, it sucks for me still sometimes because, uh, you know, when you start the game, you don't have the benefit of knowledge. And the more knowledge you get, the more you understand of just how much you don't know. And, and I guess uh, to boil it down into one tidbit, if uh, Genesis or formerly Cloud9 can loot all of Picado in four minutes, you can probably live without a vertical grip for, you know, 10 or 15 <laughs> minutes. You know, back so, off, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you're spending all your time looking at the ground, you're really missing out on PUBG. Now, looting is fun. I understand that. Um, but don't suicide onto crates. Don't check every like if, if you're in a top 20 situation, you have everything you need. You've already been getting kills or you're surviving. You've got your meds, you got your ammo, you got your guns. You don't need to check every single box because every time you're running out looking for that last if you're looking for a tactical stock and there's 15 players alive, and your buddies are, are getting ready to start a fight, and you're like, hold on, I need a tactical stock. That's how you lose games. You know, don't, don't worry too much about loot, and don't worry too much about dying. You're going to die a lot, and it's going to be a big part of the game for a long, a long time for you. Uh, and it is for me. I die all the time. I, I win like 16% of games or something low. Like Now I mess around a lot too, but even pro players, you know, you'll see them all. They whiff shots. They miss shots all the time. 
you're not going to be awesome. And if you can just keep your a cool head, use the replay system. Are you leaving to the zone too late? Are you staying stationary too long while you're looking for enemies? Are you prioritizing hardcover? But if you really want to win a lot of games, get your loot, go to the center, find a compound, defend it, move around to gunfire, third party, be opportunistic, and uh, don't worry too much. Loot enemies, not buildings. You heard it here first. That's going to bring us into our last section. We like to do this or try to do this with every guest if we have time. And we like to call this automatic fire questions. So what I'm going to do here is rattle off some questions and and we'll kind of go back and forth. But the goal of it is we're going to ask you a question and we want what comes to to mind as quickly as possible and and for you to to answer them with the first thing that comes to mind as quickly as you can. So we've had some uh, people that switched to single fire, but I think we'll get some pretty good uh, automatic fire out of you, sir. Are you ready? Yep. Who do you think is going to win phase three of the NPL? Uh, Genesis, I think. I picked Ghost Gaming at the beginning, but they got mad at me on Twitter yesterday, so I'm changing my answer. Who do you think will win the global tournament? FaZe Clan. Favorite primary and secondary weapon combo? I think right now, the Vector is my favorite primary weapon, which is something I never thought I would say in my entire life, but, uh, uh, the Vector is really fun to use, and my favorite secondary weapon will always and forever be the Car 98. Favorite player to play with? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um... You know what? I think a lot of people would be surprised uh, with this, but uh, uh, my favorite player to play with is actually Swag. I'm not, I love Chaco and Swag equally. They're both my children, but uh, they are my, my compadres. Um, but I talk a tremendous amount of trash to Swag, and he's the only person who seems to take it in stride to be able to throw back at me constantly. So I now I have to ask this. When you brought up the car issue problems earlier, was that a low-key shot at Swag? Listen, if you want to go out and spend $71,000 on a Ford product, you're signing yourself up for your own fate. Okay, so Swag, I don't know what motivated you to buy a Mustang, of all things. You are not a 19-year-old girl anymore, Swag, okay? It's time for you to get a real man's car and get German like everybody else. Well said. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Funniest player to play with. Uh, The funniest player to play with is... Probably Chaco. Him and I, and obviously, you know, we've we've played the game. We met a long time ago, and we've done a lot together. But no one is down to do dumb crap to players as nearly as much as Chaco is. I mean, like repeatedly flashing players and then panning them to death, uh, figuring out that the BRDM was silent and trying to run people over. I think him and I have thrown more duo games trying to do dumb crap than than we've actually won. Who makes you laugh the most when trying to be serious while casting? Um, I'm normally the person trying to get my co-caster to laugh. I would say probably Pansy, um, because her and I are, are cut from the same cloth of just trying to troll uh, nonstop. But uh, most of the time, the players are making me laugh <laughs> because we get to we get this point of view that where you can you can see everything, uh, mistakes, the successes, and otherwise. Yeah, so it really it really depends on the day. A Taylor J suicide grenade really made me laugh. I couldn't I couldn't cast the that moment. That was incredible. Is there someone who's relatively unknown that you like to watch or lurk? Krupa Dupe. Krupa Dupe is is probably one of the unsung heroes of PUBG. Krupa Dupe is another guy who I was convinced was I ever I realize now that I, and I say this as a joke on a stream, but it comes from a place of truth. Is anyone who kills me is clearly cheating or uh, or or desync or whatever. But uh, Krupa Dupe was another guy where I got into an endgame situation and he was just 
ruining my life. And uh, we got to be friends and, and play to, and play duos. We don't get to play as much anymore because uh, he never never ripped off the Band-Aid, never went full time. But um, he's probably one of the one of the best players uh, that doesn't get enough attention. That's C-R-O-O-P-A-D-O-O-P. Love it. We'll get his link in the show notes. Don't worry. Favorite map. Um, it constantly changes. Um, Miramar, if Miramar had good loot, it would probably be up there. Another thing I never, I, I think it's probably Sanok. When you play a lot of games, a lot, like I play a lot, you want gunplay, action, that kind of thing. If if we had Sanok's loot table on every map, I would just be living in a euphoric dream. But uh, I, I would say that my rankings for maps would go Erangel, Sanok, Miramar, dot, 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 the tractor trailer, Vikendi. Favorite place to drop? Uh, I am the mayor of Gatka. In Erangel, I go Power Grid in uh, Miramar. Sanok, I'm like a Pinon south of boot camp compound type of guy or paradise. And if it was possible, I would not actually exit the plane on Vikendi. Player you hate running into in game the most. You may have already answered that one, but is there another player that you hate running into the most? Um, I. I've kind of I've turned the names off, but someone that uh, I do run into a lot that seems to own me a lot is uh, actually a lot of people. There's that's a long list. Um, I don't I uh, I don't know if I have anyone I hate running into. I'm gonna say Fredoyo. <laughs> Fredoyo is the person I hate running into the most. He's always upside down, scaring the crap out of me, dressed like a freaking crow. I don't know, <laughs> wearing a leather dress or in a balaclava. What is the funniest thing that has happened behind the scenes at a PUBG event? Oh my god. Uh how how are you going to put that one as a rapid fire question? <laughs> Cuz I want the truth. <laughs> okay, well I'll give you I'll give you two stories and people seem to like my story. So this is won't be rapid fire but I'll try my this best. This is fine. Yeah, let it out. At I am Oakland at the after party, Brendan Green was there wearing his most fashionable blazer and uh, red scarf that was really long. And th- this was my first time meeting Brendan. I had met him at the event a couple of times, took a photo with him. Um, PUBG was at its, at its height of popularity and uh, well, not at its height, but it was it was definitely the hot the hotness at the time. I was starstruck uh, having met him the first time and I had lots of questions because obviously, why wouldn't I? And we did have some conversation. Mostly I was just kind of listening to him talk, but I also wanted to thank him for giving me the opportunity to, to have the success I had at the time and you know he was actually walking out the door he was standing at the curb and I was just kind of hitting him with questions and he was clearly uncomfortable but I and I recognized that immediately and continued to ask him things but his uh, uber pulled up and uh, I was asking him questions as the door was shutting to his uber <laughs> as he was like driving away um, but uh, I, I think chasing Brendan Green into an uber at I am Oakland was good and, uh, you know, I hope the statute of limitations has passed and there will be some hyperbole in this story. But uh, the time that Aitzi, current FaZe Clan member, uh, was abducted by hookers in Poland. Now, this is a, if this was a, this is a story um, passed on to me through the ages as unfortunately uh, I was I was not there at the time. I, I did see them at the at the event after this in uh, in Romania. But as the story goes, uh, HC Andy Pyro and a couple of the other guys that were at Katowice in the previous events uh, before before PGL had gone out to an establishment to get a couple of beverages. Now, if you know anything about Andy Pyro, you know that he likes to party. Uh, and he is a, a rock star, that gentleman. I've had the pleasure of being in his presence, and he is certainly a rock star. But um, the rest of us, uh, the rest of them, I should say, as I'm a, a masculine man who has never done anything nerdy in his life, 
uh, were uh, not as not as rock starry, not as masculine, and let's we'll call them nerds. Now, AC, a tremendous a tremendous individual in his own right, soft spoken. Uh, he was playing on uh, I think he was playing on on method at the time. A nice young lad, Danish, if I recall. They all go out. They're at this place, and, in, and they're in Poland at we'll call it what it is, a strip club. Uh, they're getting some drinks and uh, the dancers are asking, Hey, do you want, you want to dance? You want, you want some of this? You want some of that? And you know, everything's, everything's clean. Just a standard issue fair, you know, yeah, sure. I'll buy you a drink. Yeah, I'll do this. And as the story goes, the night continues on, there's dancing, there's drinking. And, uh, AC was separated from the pack and, and cornered by these, by these individuals who are running this place and said, Hey, you owe us X amount of dollars you need to pay right now. And AC says, okay. And now shout out to the people who live and in, in work in Poland. I'm sure they're all up-class individuals, but uh, these ladies maybe were taking advantage of the fact that this young boy was concerned, afraid, confused, abandoned by Andy Pyro, who was probably on the roof breakdancing or something. And, uh, you know, they said they may have had to pay more than what he had. And he didn't like that, so they pulled him into a back room and they were grilling him and uh, they lost him. They lost him for a while. They couldn't find him. And obviously things got a little bit heated and, and eventually Andy comes back from breakdancing on the roof and, and has to... Uh, has to free him so he had to go back in this back room and free him from the clutches of these uh ladies and the hotel and the bar manager and all this other stuff and and they got it sorted out and they were able to extract him from a very hot situation wow stories from the house of ill repute <laughs> this the next question just doesn't seem like it's worth it now yeah i think we just cap it no <laughs> it's up to you person you never thought you'd meet that you met because of pubg Oh, wow. Um, I've had the opportunity to, um, to, to meet, you know, guys like Shroud and, and Doc at, at a couple of different events. I don't think you can really understate the presence of, of Dr. Disrespect. Like the man is, first of all, he's literally six foot eight. Um, now I'm not, he's a lot of man. Yeah. He's a very tall guy. Um, but it's more so the presence, you know, the, the presence and the energy the guy brings, he's constantly in character and, uh, stuck around and, uh, took pictures with everyone at PGI, a really upstanding dude who, um, I really think that from a, from an entertainment standpoint, the guy is, is just as much of a celebrity as anybody else, but really the, the people I never thought I'd meet were fans of me. Uh, that's something that uh, I never thought I would ever have. So the people that come up to me at, event, at events and say that they watch my videos, the people that say they like my casting, the people that want to take photos, and the people that are are genuinely just excited to meet me and talk to me are, uh, it's amazing. It really is. I will never be humbled more than, you know, getting to do stuff like this um, and just to be a part of this community and to translate a passion of of making stuff and, and, and being an, a nerdy guy and, and just being, being a part of something, you know, something that we've all uh, come to love and, uh, you know, meeting, meeting fans and meeting people of me has just been surreal. And I think everyone who's ever watched anything I've ever made and told me to, to f myself in comments. Thank you to those guys. <laughs> in December of 2018, you shaved your beard. Would you ever do it again? No, I learned a horrible lesson which is I have no chin anymore and uh, I would never, I'm, I'm a beard person now forever. You have great beard. Can't go back. Thank you. Appreciate that. I don't know. I don't know what you look like, so I can't say anything about your appearance. I, I just, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say, send me a photo so I can verify, but we'll, we'll get that later. I'm, I'm lucky I'm married. Let's just put it okay. that way. Good. Me too. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. What would you say to someone who hasn't played in a while or who has never played the game? Good. Good luck. Good luck to you, sir. You survived. You've done it. But I know that there's actually one more question from one of the other hosts. This is just my meme question, but 
a bone I'm certainly going to pick with you. Do you still hate the Winchester? You know what? There's got to be a worst gun. Not every <laughs> gun can be good. Um, and unfortunately for the Winchester, it just doesn't do anything particularly well. Um, but it is the most satisfying to get a kill with. It's like my good duo partner, Swag. I, I think that Swag and the Winchester are two peas in a, in a very terrible pod. You know, the Winchester is bad at shooting and so is Swag. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know... He can't be the best. And in, mm. in their specific cases, Swag is the person I'm talking about and the Winchester. They're both awful. You can't see it right now, but I have both of my fists raised in the air about the Winchester because I hate that gun. <laughs> if you could throw the Winchester, it might have some value. It might actually kill someone. Yeah. Well, to be honest, Mike <laughs> Mike just came off a win. Or I say a win. He won a quote unquote gunfight in our last <laughs> custom games this Friday where Kev was trying to shoot him with the Winchester. Mike just said, fuck it, and gave up and just put it away and just beat him to death with his fists. And I've never <laughs> mm-hmm. heard Kevin swear so much in my life. I was uh, a little little pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a two, 1v1, you know? He went on like a two-minute, like, tear Mike down for his life. Everything like I was worth. from the community. <laughs> just, yeah, I was a little angry. Thanks, bud. You should nice. translate little. that energy to joining the Winchester Needs a Scope crew you know that's oh, the uh yeah, something there's a Two very X-Max. dedicated contingent of lunatics who just will not stop talking about the winchester and how it, how it could be better see i'm i'm of the mind that it's perfect the way it is i want it to be garbage so that way when you die by it there's that extra level of shame that you have to wipe off after you hit return to lobby PUBG is like spinning the wheel of like what gun are we going to raise up or destroy next like the UMP and the vec, like the UMP was like the un unmitigated god of SMGs for a long time, and then it was just like throwing down the well of of shame that will never it will never escape now because it's just trash and I don't think it's ever going to get better. But the vector was there for a long time too. So, but we can certainly justify giving the Glock uh, what is it uh, a kill stat skin. We made it. To, we made it to the end without talking about skins, and I, and I think if I can, if I, if I can, if I want to continue to be technically employed uh, by PUBG Corp, we should definitely end it now. Yeah, no, no, we'll we'll redact your statements. <laughs> okay, we're redacting. No, 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 no. Is 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 in charge of skins? Did they get fired from the sound team? Well, thank you, Moses. That's been all the time we've had for this podcast. I want to uh, thank everybody for listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing it. I almost, I almost went in. No, we're not doing it. We're not going. All right. <laughs> what a way to end it, though. Fan- fantastic, uh, something great. So before we give Mr. Moses here the promotional floor on the way out, uh, any other questions that you guys have for him? No, I think we covered a ton. This is an awesome conversation. I'm really, really happy with everything we got to cover. I mean, I think the only question I can think of is. After this experience, have we lost you for good, or would you like to come back again sometime? Oh, I'm down. I'm I'm at the NPL for a month straight, and if I'm not casting, um, I'm probably uh, doing literally nothing other than streaming. So, all right, Moses Part Two can confirm. You, well, you heard it here first. That's for <laughs> sure. But one of the things I want to say on the heels of everything we talked about, right, and it's going to be a little short of this when it comes out, but we've gone well over two hours at this point. Um, for anyone that listens to this in the community, right, don't don't be shy. Reach out to Moses. Reach out to us. This is, this is a discussion. And I mean, you heard some points where we're kind of on 
coming from different angles on it, but there's also angles that we haven't considered. Uh, PUBG has said, hold them accountable, tell them what they're doing right, tell them what they're doing wrong. There's no shortage of ideas out there and they're listening. So you know what? If you heard something in here that you didn't like, tell us about it. We want to know. If you heard something that you love and you hadn't heard before, tell us about it. We want to know. But with that, I just want to extend uh, just a sincere thanks, Moses, for coming on. It's a pleasure. And what we'd like to do now is just uh, give you the floor. Let people know where you're at, where you're going to be, how to find you. If there's anybody you want to make a special shout out to or tell them that they're the worst thing since the Winchester 94, feel free to do that. And if you have any announcements you want to make, the floor is yours, my friend. Uh, no, I just want to say thanks to you guys for, for putting this on, for having me on. Um, and uh, you can obviously uh, follow me on Twitter at twitter.com uh, slash WTF Moses. Uh, you can follow me on YouTube, youtube.com slash WTF Moses, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. They all have the same address. You can follow me on all those platforms. I stream every time I want to. And uh, other than that, just watch the NPL, please. Uh, Twitch.tv slash playbattlegrounds. We... Uh, we are live 2 p.m. Pacific time, Saturday and Sundays. Uh, you can also watch all of PUBG Esports, which you absolutely should. And shout out to OGN and PUBG Corp for putting on the pro leagues and, and for making this great game better every time they make an honest attempt to. Well, you guys, we have done it. We have successfully gone close to three hours yet again. And here we are. Hopefully, uh, all you guys listening, hopefully you got something out of this. Please let Moses know what you thought about this. Let us know what you thought about it. And continue these conversations on Twitter, Discord, uh, basically anywhere. Uh, but uh, Griff, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up, man. Let everybody know uh, where they can find you. Absolutely, man. Uh, best place to find me is going to be at Twitter at Grifflicious or on YouTube at Grifflicious as well. Uh, I ha started an Instagram account, but for God's sakes, please don't follow me there because it's garbage and I haven't uploaded anything. So I don't know what I'm doing over there. Awesome. Kev? Yeah, Instagram's murky waters, dude. Be careful. No, that's a good, good place to drive your content. I think you do pretty well over there. But you can only find me on Twitter and I guess you can always find me in the Discord. Twitter at the One Heart Live and Discord. Just come to the winner Discord and say hello. Always down to get some games if I'm on. That's about it. That was an awesome interview though. Or just conversation. What a nice guy. He's got so much to say about a million things. Yeah, and we'll look forward to getting him back here. Maybe we'll get to bring him back and have some follow-ups on some of the stuff we talked about and would like to see change or be in the game. I agree. Yeah, I mean... If you're if you're out there, do you want to listen to more content that's around competitive? We've been doing a lot more of that. We've gotten packs on and we've gotten Moses in to give his opinion from from a different seat, right? Do you like that interview style? Do you want to just have people from the community on who just want to talk PUBG in general? Are these streamer interviews something you're liking? Let us know with these feedback and of course we're gonna try and find more time to get back to some of that roots stuff where we give you our gun weapons and breakdowns and all of our other areas of interest. And as for me, my name is Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger. Again, you can find me on Twitter at MTB Trigger. And most of the time you can find me on Twitch. It's the best place to get in touch with me and chat about PUBG and gaming in general. So twitch.tv forward slash MTB Trigger. But that is all we've got for you today. But I will ask you to hang out for just another minute because, you know, recently we had someone say, you know, I always cut out right after you tell everybody where you can find you. And we do have some uh, kind of cool stuff on where you can uh, support and help out. The number one place is if you want to support the podcast directly, we do have a Patreon and even a dollar per month uh, 
makes a huge difference on this podcast, helps us keep going. You can also get us in the Discord, or if you prefer email, hit us at winnerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are listening to this on any sort of app where you get your podcasts or even through Podbean on the website, even a five-star rating says a lot to us and it helps us get this out to more people. So any of that is super good and super helpful to us. And last and not least, we always say thank you to Spiffy Man for the awesome music. Thank you, sir. You can find him on Spotify and Bandcamp. And with that, folks, winner, winner, out.